listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. That's true. I am here, and we are glad to have people listening to us. So thank you. It makes it uh, all worthwhile to know that somebody's actually out there playing, uh, well, you know, listening to one episode six times or listening to it in six chunks. I don't know, but we love it. Keep it up. More pauses, more, yeah, let's cook the books. (laughs) Cook the books, yes. Yeah, there does seem lots of numbers, but we were, there was one day we were like, what did every, did really, did that many people listen to episode three out of nowhere? Like, what happened? Or is that one person listening to it over and over again or something? We'll take it, we'll take it. It's a glitch. Corey's, he's he's sweating, he's fretting these numbers every day like a stockbroker, you know. (laughs) He's sitting by the ticker tape machine. That's right. Yeah, and uh, the the money shot interview that we replayed from our friend Ron Moore's podcast, it's like rocketed up number two most listened to episode ever. Like you know, only only behind episode number one. Maybe people thought Ted DiBiase was making a rare guest appearance. <laughs> That's right. Ted DiBiase million dollar money shot. That's correct. So it is almost WrestleMania season on our podcast. It's WrestleMania three season, which means that we're really in a glory period of wrestling in my childhood and just this build these few months leading up to WrestleMania. It just seemed like wrestling was going to keep getting bigger and bigger and more and more exciting. And just everything you ever thought couldn't think of to happen was going to start happening. And I just was so tied into it at the time. And it just felt like it was so much more important than it ever did at any other time. Yeah. I remember one night, when the evening news had like, and Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant are set to clash. And I was like, exactly. it's, the, it's the big time. That's you know, right. It wasn't, this is on the Winnipeg news. Like if they came to town, sure. The news yeah, would do different. it. Yeah. That's when we really felt like, you know, we felt like big shots. Like, and right. we know you, you come to us, you adults and ask me what's going on. I'll tell you. Yeah. So of course, you know, the world wrestling federation, got into that ridiculous point of like, you know, WrestleMania 31, the biggest WrestleMania of all time. You know, every year it had to outdo itself, but it never really did. WrestleMania 3 was the only one that really outdid itself. Well, you, <laughs> you know, know, it's funny about that. We, I might have been all like, I'll tell you about Hulk Hogan, blah, 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 blah. And I would have sworn it up and up and down that, no, Hogan and Andre never wrestled before. I swear, <laughs> I, I did, never did. It's the first time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd read in the magazines before it actually happened that they had wrestled, but it was just a fleeting picture or something, you know, a reference to it. It wasn't like a maybe big full I, page breakdown or anything like that. So maybe I had the same subliminal idea that it had happened before, but yeah, I thought it'd be funny to say. <laughs> <laughs> so the point of all this is that, you know, I started trying to put this show together. We're trying to get to the March 14th Saturday night's main event that, is on right before WrestleMania, which is just such a key episode. It's so cool. There's so many great things on it. But we're talking early January to like mid-March, and we're talking about the greatest time in the history of wrestling. We got to slow down. That's right. <laughs> we take a little winter pause. Yeah, we we got to make sure we don't miss some really juicy stuff. So as 
you faithful listeners have become accustomed to. We have been doing a setup show and then sort of a deep dive breakdown on the actual Saturday Night's Main Event card or whatever we happen to be doing that week. This week, we can't pull it all together just in, you know, in that format. So it's going to be basically a January to early February show and then a February to Marchy kind of show. And then that Saturday Night's Main Event because there's some of the biggest things that ever happened in the WWF happen in these couple of months. And we can't skip over them. We can't skimp. We can't, you know, go cheap on this. We got to take it all the way. We got to find every little bit. And that includes squeezing out some Pete Doherty greatness and some other stuff. You know, there's things you're expecting you're going to hear. And then there's other stuff that you don't expect to hear. And we're going to find it. And we're going to dig it up and present it all for you. So stick with us. It may be a little longer than you expected, but we hope it'll be worthwhile. All right. So here's a little fun match with Jake and his awesome bad guy so cool that people are cheering for him yeah, that's right phase this kind of neat little timeline where uh he was he just you knew he was going to turn face and i was a huge jake fan at this point he was my guy for sure yeah i was totally into it yeah. but of course you know we had the benefit of watching the awa so we were seasoned cynical heel 11 <laughs> 14 year olds or well by 87 for sure 86 is sort of when i started cheering for the bad guys and 87 i was right. fully entrenched yeah well it was all about Jake Roberts for me, and so here he is. And we've we've talked about this on a different unaired episode, but basically Jake has the weirdest couple of months here where he's, you know, one of the nastiest heels earlier in the year with the Steamboat feud, and then he gets this, like, you know, sort of one-off match on Saturday's Main Event against Savage, which seems to be sort of the first steps of him becoming a good guy, and then December he's got a lot of matches against, like, Bundy and Kamala. But then January, he's back into, like, you know, he's fighting... Tito and Coco Beware and all these good guys and and you know and we're going to talk a lot about it next week you know there's a really big part of Jake's career that didn't really get seen in a big way but point being is that like it's almost like they don't know what they're doing with them you know they're keeping them they're, they're like you know we're keeping both ways we're like he's a, he's a good guy he's a bad guy you know whatever we need well what's funny is that it's not too long before Savage follows the same thing, you know, yeah. terrible villain becomes face. Yeah. But I mean, look at what the two guys have to offer. One guy's got this devastating finisher and this yeah. really cool snake and he's all, and the other guy, like he's a bully and a coward, you know, <laughs> like <in> why <laughs> did we get it behind Savage ever? <laughs> you know, right. like well, Jake. They always wanted to cheer for Elizabeth. They're looking for any excuse. As soon as Savage is even slightly nice to her, all of a sudden he was. <laughs> Always forgiven. And he was punching the right guy in the face yes anyway so here we have jake roberts and he's wrestling um tito our awa pal and uh yep. the guy who is uh you know of course we're having the exact same thoughts going in and and you may as well what are they well basically that tito's already being less featured than he was in you know 83 84 85 so he's kind of in many ways, he's a gatekeeper kind of wrestler. He's someone they use to like kind of put other people over. But it's it hasn't that transition hasn't fully happened yet. He's, I think he still has his uh, his credibility here. You know, as far as you know, he's won a lot of matches and he's still a top good guy. But he's he's down he's down the ladder a bit. He's down the the rungs of the ladder. There's a few, you know a few more good guys kind of getting in the way that have usurped his his spot. So as much as we like Jake, we don't really want to see Tito take a DDT and That's get a clean right. pinfall. We we don't want that. We you know I wanted Savage to take a clean you know DDT and lose the belt you know That's back right. on the main uh, the Saturday Night's main event. I'd wanted that some more than anything I ever wanted. But going into this match, you don't like Tito's odds because of what Corey just said, and but you don't want him jobbed. You don't want him to job. No. no. 
Anyway, yeah, this is off a uh, January 5th primetime episode, and it's just neat because I just have zero recollection in this era of Tito and Jake tangling. I'm sure they did in like 91, 92 or something, but at a time that that wouldn't have mattered because Tito would have been wrapped up in his, I don't know, probably his matador gimmick or whatever. Mm. And it'd be like heel again, Jake, and it wouldn't be the same. This is neat because it's, it's much closer to their primes. And we're in uh, Texas where yeah, they- The Houston Summit. Right. So they've only got some kind of uh, row. The, the the front row is separated from the ring by, I think, a ribbon of scotch tape is what <laughs> yeah, you... Oh, yeah, no, wait, yeah, no. Yeah. Masking tape. You can there see you it. go. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is this is what would have saved Ricky Steamboat's larynx. You know, if uh, yeah. if Savage had done the elbow drop onto the top of this ribbon instead of uh, yeah. the barricade. So a lot of trust. You know, they got their own rules down there in Texas. Yeah. Um, what was the other? Oh, yeah, the, these the ropes. Ring. The ring looks yeah. so weird. I've never seen these ropes look more like a coil of steel that somebody kind of stretched twisted. out. Twisted, yeah. Yeah. So I've heard of the idea that like it's metal ring ropes that are like wrapped in tape or they're in like a rubber casing. And I think the WAF maybe use more of the rubber casing because this looks more like that style where it's literally just like electric tape or something wrapped around. Yeah. Whatever the ropes are made out of. But it absolutely. kind of weird. They're, I don't know how to describe it. Corkscrew yeah. style and just like they weren't pulled tight enough. Yeah. It's even when you look and like it's not a straight line from post to post. It gets got a little ziggy zag in yeah. its part, parts. When you, yeah, when you, your perspective is like staring down the barrel of the of the rope, you're like, that's, <laughs> no, like, totally. Like a garden hose got a little bit of bender kinking it. Zigzag. <laughs> anyway, so I've never seen more distinct, uh, that says as crooked, the most crooked ropes I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. They're all in the take. That's right. Jake's got a cool black and silver. Uh, his snakes are silver tonight, and there's uh, they're kind of actually symmetrical, winding up his leg. And uh, Tito was never, you know, his look wasn't never really a big part of his thing. Not, no, it wasn't yeah, about he, the look. he would use a few different colors, but I mean, he basically would come into his little Ariba t-shirt and uh, short, short trunks. and. But damn, those traps. He, he's kind of like Hawk. He's just a big yeah, shoulders muscular, Tito. Yeah, yeah. Big, big shoulders on Tito. They got time. They're not in a rush. No, no. They, house uh, show. <laughs> yeah, it's a house show. That's what I really like about this program, too, is that, uh, you know, I just love seeing talent, you know, the names wrestle each other. Like, I wish I could have. We said it before, broken record, but boy, this would have been worth tuning into if this we were getting every week. Yeah. It's kind of like, like raw. Multiple segment matches, not just these little two-minute matches like we got on Superstars. Right. So they announced a 20-minute time limit for the match, and uh, Jake does a lot of... Um, taunting but he he's not he's not running he's kind of like stalling and playing mind games but he's doing a lot of like leaning his chin out like yeah, right here hit me one plant yeah, me one po- pointing to it yeah but of course the ref is like hey come on you know like yeah. bad enough the bad guys throw punches you know you're trying to get the faces to throw punches yeah. so like i think it's important to note too that like in the intros tito didn't get a lot of love like there was some booze we could hear and then jake kind of got a smattering of cheers amongst his booze and i was kind of like well, maybe Jake got a few more cheers than Tito did, which is weird because Tito's really popular in this era. Possibly, but I think it's more definitely, as we've been saying, it's Jake's on the rise. There's a lot of guys there. We see them in the crowd later. We see that there's Jake fans. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of Jake fans out there. So, um, yeah, the early part of the match, you know, they, they take their time and, uh, the first chapter of the, uh, match's storyline has got a lot of, um, you know, they they don't break a sweat right away. They got to work into it. So you got Tito is got like arm control on leg on, on Jake. Tito, you got, he's got Jake in a headlock and they, they spend some time keeping Jake grounded that way. But the DDT chant, you can hear really loud starts like 
in about three minutes, this, the crowd's calling for the DDT, and it makes this awkward <laughs> moment because Jake can acknowledge it, but he also still got to be the villain. Yeah, he can't play into it too much. We had this funny little... Uh, Jake was blocking punches. I've never seen a, a heel. Usually a heel has his punches blocked. He's not the one blocking the punches, but Tito goes for a couple of strikes that Jake just throws up his arms and yeah, doesn't left, take the punch. And, right, and, and he blocks both. <laughs> yeah, blocks both and dances away. Kind of unusual heel tactics, but cool to see. There was a bit of a, a botchy bit where the, uh, was it, is it some kind of an arm drag? Oh, no, an arm drop. So there's uh, basically oh, right, yeah, a rear the, chin lock, which almost turns into a sleeper. And Jake, Jake's really selling it. It's like he's passed out. Yeah. And the referee drops his arm once, drops his arm twice. And I'm like, oh, we're going to have like the good guy come back. And he drops his arm a third time. So then the ref picks his arm up again. <laughs> <laughs> and Jake wakes up. That's when he's That's like, right. oh, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Oops, did I miss? Was I late for my call? Apparently my it's, a ten, it's a 10 count in Houston. Yeah. Uh, the Bundy. Drop. Two more arm drops. <laughs> so there was uh, that little snag. But I uh, know Jake, you know, does survive this uh, rear chin lock slash sleeper. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he doesn't escape Tito's grasp until he finally does that whole kind of chin breaker thing where a guy's, you know, behind you and you, and you stand up and then fall back on your butt and all the force travels up your spine and boop into his chin the other Ouch. funny thing during that chin lock is that jake's reaching for the rope to break the move and hebner decides to give him his hand to kick yeah none of that <laughs> it's like wait a minute so you're supposed to kick his hand if he's like using the rope to cheat not to exactly break it down. what the hell so we have a, a tv ad break when they come back jake has still got the advantage and he uh he pulls this odd tactic again for a he was like go on give me your best shot leaning on his jaw and uh, Tito does. And Jake's like, ooh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. He's teetering because, <laughs> remember, the, the baby faces actually, their punches work. That's right. Unlike, <laughs> they hurt. That's right. They wrestle back and forth a bit. The advantage goes Tito's way and Jake's way until we get a spot that Corey and I both instantly recognized from uh, the big event. But I think they also did it on another show, too. It, it's a steamboat and Jake, where yeah, yeah. Jake basically pulls what we would call a full mount in UFC-style fighting, a yeah, full knee, mount. Knees on the shoulders. Yes, yeah, which actually you never see. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, or in this case, kind of like the knees get tucked into the armpits. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, the point being that uh, it's not guard, you know. No. Yeah. And what what it allows for is the guy who looks like he's about to get punched out really good to uh, sneak up his heels under the upright guy's armpits and, and put them, you know, in front of his shoulders. And then the guy on the bottom just has to straighten out, which by default yeah. pulls Jake down. And or Into he, the pin. it was Ricky's. Yeah. Ricky got the big three count yeah, that's right. and the win in Toronto with this move. So we recognize that spot, but uh, Jake does kick out at two. That's right. Or two and a half, maybe. <laughs> it's close. We have uh, more back and forth until... Um, Irish whip results in a, basically, they bump into each other. And what did you compare it to? A, a double knock, and it, it made me oh, think yeah, a yeah. little they, bit of... They had like sort of a, they knocked heads. And both I, guys are pretty, this is pretty late in the match. Like, it's getting along in the match. And they're pretty hurt. So, Tito goes down. Jake falls into the ropes backwards. And it reminded me of the Michael Hayes-Lex Luger thing, where like, that's how Michael Hayes wins the title, is there's like a, there's like, they knock heads. Luger goes down and Hayes falls in the ropes and then Terry Gordy gives him like the baby little push to the yeah. back so Michael Hayes can fall on him for the three count. <laughs> oh man, what a great match. I love so that's that. That's what I thought. I thought Jake was going to fall on Tito here for the, maybe for the, for that's the count. That's a hidden gem. People I, don't talk about that. I think we that. may have missed a pretty big spot earlier in the match uh, oh. when Jake was doing his uh, hit me, hit me, hit me and he kept turning his back to Tito. So there's three of them in a row. Oh, the forearm. And didn't... in the third one, Jake really pays for it because Tito does uh, tries to do a rolling reverse cradle 
and Jake holds onto the rope. So Tito ends up sort of, you know, tumbling backwards by himself. And Jake's showing the crowd, pointing to his own brain, you know, look how smart I am. And Tito gets up and bounces off the far ropes. And when Jake turns around, Tito nails him with the flying forearm. Yeah. And Jake does it perfectly where he does a big bump. But he he rolls to the side so that he can be really nice and close to the rope so that as that three count's coming down, he can get his foot over the rope, protect Tito's move, and uh, but also not not get pinned. Yeah, you're right. That was like uh, one of the first big spots. And And that's why Tito had like sort of an advantage for a long time with that chin lock and all that stuff because Jake had taken the finisher. (laughs) Right. Jeez, took notes. I'm still screwing it up. (laughs) Okay, so now we're back to... um, probably two thirds of the match. We, we've already had our TV ad. It makes me think of like this double noggin knucker reminds me of um, Valentine and was it Davy Boy who clobber into each dynamite. other? Yeah. Dynamite. Yeah. And, and and then Dynamite like basically lands on top and for the win. The other way around. Valentine runs through them after they hit heads. That's the main event before WrestleMania 2. And Valentine gets yeah, the win. Yeah, the Bulldogs just clobber them the, the entire match and then like Valentine gets this fluke win because like they basically both get knocked out. Right. <laughs> so both these guys count. are getting this ta- standing 10 count now who's you know yeah. if, if neither one of you up by 10 then you're both out you know that's right. and it, I guess it wouldn't even it never happens because like yeah, what, right. what does the ref even say then the <laughs> winners by uh, double, <laughs> double count <laughs> right double, but it, no it's contest. not out yeah I think it's called no contest or something like that no contest yeah. Yeah. okay well that would be a technical answer right um, so he's, the ref is counting them both, but uh, of course the match is not over. Before long, we get one of Jake's awesome offensive maneuvers, which is really a combo. We like to call it the Georgia whip with a twist, <laughs> which of course is uh, Jake twists your arm, gives you that arm bar, and then kind of you know pushes you away a little bit so that he can really pull you in for a short arm clothesline. Yeah, like a yo-yo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Push you away and pull you in. It's wonderful. And um, Tito does a really interesting bump. Most guys immediately flat back bump off of the that clothesline. Tito kind of just breaks backwards. Like it's like he's doing the matrix. He like bends backwards after he gets clotheslined and then he falls down. Yep. Since Jake has got Tito uh, clobbered, he throws him out of the ring and then uh, we get some snake shit. <laughs> stick. Snake <laughs> shit. <laughs> snake stick. G.I. <laughs> Joe, snake eyes. Snake shit. Okay, so we get uh, a bit where... Jake is going for Damien, and he's going to bring him into the uh, you know. into the arena. Yeah, <laughs> but the ref is like catches him and like admonishing him. So Jake puts Damien away. I like at one point in the match, either then or earlier, Gorilla's like, "If I was still wrestling, which I'm glad I'm not, uh, you know, if I was wrestling Jake and had him in a compromising position, I think I would go for the snake." <laughs> like Gorilla's talking about, he wants to get the snake out and put it on Jake. <laughs> As Tito's climbing back into the ring, Jake does his uh, little twirling his hand thing, which signals a DAT, and it gets a huge pop from the crowd. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't actually get to attempt it here. He does put a chin lock, a lock on Tito, and it winds up kind of on the mat. He's really grinding the stamina out of Santana. And uh, we get a great little um, scene plays out with the fans <laughs> and the ref and, of course, the talent. You want to cover this one? Yeah, so, so yeah, Tito foils that uh, DDT attempt coming in, does this, like, I think, a sunset flip. Well, that's later. Jake punches him. Oh, wait, yeah, isn't that the same I, move? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't. Okay. I think he signals a DDT, gets the oh, pop, okay, but doesn't okay. actually try oh, it. Okay, never mind. Sorry. My bad. Anyway, so the point being is that Jake's laying on the ground, all his weight on Tito, 
toe and he's got him in a you know side headlock really wearing him down and Tito's actually really selling like if it was the UFC the match would be over because Tito's Tito's tapping over and over and over again and but back in the 80s that didn't mean anything so what Jake's doing is he's ever so sneakily he's reaching up and he's grabbing that rope for that extra leverage whatever that means yeah like Rick Flair or the JJ Dillon would help yeah him. and Hepner's in a great position where he can't see Jake's hand so he of course turns around and it, you know it's all perfect as soon as Jake grabs the rope Tito's legs start flailing and eventually the ref looks and Jake keeps putting his, his that arm behind his back you know, like to like make it look like there's no way he's reaching for the rope, but the rope's moving ever so slightly. So he goes for it about two or three times of this shtick. And the great thing that Jeff and I were really enjoying is the crowd. So you got the front row on our right is like these three adult males who are all like, no, no, that didn't happen. They're all cheering for Jake. They're lying. <laughs> They're lying. They're lying for <laughs> and Jake. And then you got the little kids, like the 12-year-olds to, to the left who were like pointing at the rope going, no, no, he's grabbing the rope. <laughs> <laughs> Truth from the mouths of babes. Yeah, yeah right. it's pretty cute. <laughs> like <laughs> the honesty. Of and of the- course, the fourth time Hebner catches him holding the rope yeah. <laughs> as to be expected yeah but Jake's got his fans and they don't care about the truth or the rules <laughs> um so there's when that uh, little bit works itself up there's more back and forth there you know we were 17 18 minutes into the match the guys are both covered in sweat working really hard and then Jake does finally get his DDT attempt in and here I'm thinking uh oh they're gonna feed Santana to the snake machine but no instead <laughs> he stands up out of it and ends up being like a, a basically a backflip you know and uh, sort of like sunset flip if you will that Jake takes because he's got that headlock position or that yeah, front headlock almost like lock. a northern light suplex that, but release you yeah know, like it's it's a backdrop that looks almost like a suplex <laughs> right so it doesn't work out but it does give tito a chance to pull his own submission finisher the figure four leg lock that's right but locks it in yes he locks it in and jake is really selling it he's in incredible amounts of pain he's hitting the mat but not tapping out but he's close enough to damien that he actually lays back and he's got those long lanky snake arms <laughs> he grabs the sack and then he pulls it he, he drops damien still in the satchel in his yeah, big kind of throws it on tito. potato sack he throws damien onto tito still in the bag that i had never seen yeah, exactly and the bell ring and you don't know what's going on until the referee finally does make it clear that actually what happened was that while Jake was in the figure four leg lock, the time limit expired. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it seemed like the quickest disqualification ever. It's like, well, you can disqualify him in five seconds, but you can't disqualify him now. <laughs> like he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> yep. So I was glad that, uh, you know, Tito didn't get jobbed out too badly at all. Yeah, and then Jake gets into the bag right away, and he gets the snake out, and Tito ends up on the outside with a chair, and we're having a pretty good laugh about that. And then at one point, Hebner's is charged with having to help <laughs> Jake snake, put the snake, snake back collection. in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Jake just charges at him with the Damien, so he just takes off. It's really great. Yep. That was fun, getting to see Jake yes. in his, uh, his little gray phase. I think, I think like, yeah, one of the most enjoyable things about this whole project we're doing here and doing this podcast and going back and reliving our favorite moments is just finding moments we never saw. <laughs> Especially when it's like you could, as kids, we would always think about that. Like, oh, if we could get this guy and this guy to wrestle or this team and this team. And in reality, for the most part, it always has happened. It just, you know, wasn't on our limited TV access. Yes, the deprivations of teenage Jeff and Corey are now the middle-aged dreams. You get to see all these awesome matches that actually happened. That's right. Not like today's spoiled wrestling fans. Got too much content they can't even watch, and none of it's any good. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> they got some good stuff. 
Oh, sort of. So January 14th, prime time, uh, get partway through the episode. <laughs> There's a pretty funny segment. We got to see, we like really liked, there was a Jesse segment with the Can-Am connection in a previous show where they kind of, Jesse was trying to get them to compliment him. And <laughs> of course they wouldn't. So there was some good comedy. So it's an on location. It, it's hard to tell where they are. They're supposed to be at an airport, I think, or I'm not really too sure. Maybe I, coming I, out of an arena. Yeah. That basically, I think that the you know this is outside the arena. That, yeah, you know they're showing up for work. Yeah, so Jesse's standing in like basically like a hallway by these set of brown doors, like maybe three or four brown doors with some sort of a security or venue person. Yeah, Jesse's on the inside. We exactly. are on the inside of the arena, but waiting. The, you know, we don't. We're waiting for something, and we can hear it's Beatlemania outside. There's That's the right. squealing girls, and, and Jesse's the- like, "It must be Randy Macho Man Savage." <laughs> That's right. So the doors open, and we see Tom Zink and Rick Martell in street clothes trying to come in, but they're being grabbed by the throngs of hungry ladies, and they're grabbing their duffel bags. And by the end of it, Rick Martell's shirt has been ripped open. Yeah, <laughs> two or three ladies make it inside. That's right. Yeah, you know, and there's a security guard who ushers all That's the women right. out, and then Jesse begins the interview. <laughs> That's right, and he says, "Wait a minute." Isn't the, macho man, isn't the macho man out there? <laughs> I didn't see him out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What is this all for you? <laughs> yeah, Jesse's just completely outraged. He's, and he's jealous. Like, yeah. So he wants an explanation from the security guard. He's an officer. <laughs> he goes charging off to get some answers. <laughs> that's really he's funny. Pretty, yeah, actually, Jesse's really uh, Yeah, it's very short, but it just popped us. And then we go back to the primetime desk for Bobby Heenan and Grella. Jesse, uh, Bobby's on his way out the door. And where are you going? He goes, wow. What are you talking about? If those ladies see me, they'll be ripping my nice sequin jacket apart. I, I got to get out of here. As you know, they've been watching a video clip. It's so yeah, ridiculous exactly. in yeah, some yeah, other yeah. place. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's really good. And uh, he's he's not impressed with our Martel and Zink. That's right. So what does he call them? Smile something. And Dimples Dim- Incorporated. Dimples Incorporated, yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. So this primetime has a few other things on it we want to touch on. So just a quick note. Uh, there's a there's a Ken Resnick interview with the Rougeos, of course, you know, babyface tag team. Pretty standard interview, but at one point, um, they get to, like, talking about the Bulldogs, and I just kind of found that kind of prophetic, because it was like, they're like, they're talking about all their, how they're, you know, they're biding their time, and they're trying to become the number one contenders, and but then Ken even asked them, he says, well, you know, you're friends with the Bulldogs, what's going to happen if you have to wrestle them? And, and the, the two brothers are like, yeah, they are really good friends of ours, but, you know, we are, we would love to wrestle them, and it's just, you know, they just, they give the, the answer they should give, right. but in, in hindsight, it's kind of funny, you think about, you know, like, not even a year later, or whatever it is, maybe a little over a year later, there's, there's some problems. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> well, um, Rougeau, he also pissed off Terry Taylor. One time, Terry Taylor knocked on his door and punched him in the face. Oh, wow. Yeah, because but Rougeau tells a story. He says, oh, I asked for it. You know, there oh, okay. was a girl that he, and he said, I thought she was the love of my life, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he didn't really fight back because he knew that he had pulled some, you're not supposed, you know, the whole bros before hoes, if you, you know, yeah, if yeah. you break that rule, you get a punch in the face, you're not supposed to punch back, I guess. And yeah, so, yeah. Knew he was in the wrong. Yeah, it might have been in the wrong there, uh, Jacques Rougeau. But it, was this the one where they did a big French uh, message at the end, or that was maybe at because I that might have been earlier because I remember them basically wishing everybody well, like a holiday season. So that probably I guess that, that was, was probably December. an earlier one because this is this is into January. Although right. it would have been, they would have something like that would have aired in December, yeah. I would think. So, um, but yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. It's pretty neat. So we have. Um, 
there's a match, and then now again, this is because of the timing of the recording. This match would have been recorded like earlier in December or whatever, but it's a another, yet another Bulldogs versus Sheik and Volkov. And the only reason I bring it up is because uh, the Bulldogs get disqualified very early in the match because Danny Davis disqualifies Matilda. <laughs> Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, so they, they chase around Slick or whatever, and that's enough for Danny Davis to call for the bell. I think that maybe they, the match does actually start, and it's like, like a few moves, and then for some reason, Davey Boy brings Matilda into the ring to chase somebody, and that's it. So they have to actually announce Matilda getting disqualified. A successful title defense against Shiki Baby in Volkov. That's right. So one of the things we came across on the last couple of uh, of primetime episodes is they they show an abbreviated version, almost like a little highlight loop from what was a Superstars of Wrestling 1986 year in review video, and it was really neat, and I loved that. I ne- and just to kind of fully bring you in here, I didn't really necessarily. I tried to tape good matches. If they told said, "Hey, this match is going to happen on weekly syndicated TV," I would try to tape those. Of course, I taped all my Siren Spain events and everything else I've talked about. But for whatever reason. I recorded that episode and I had it on a tape and I watched it so many times. I watched the 1986 year in review superstars of wrestling tape, which, you know, had everything from, uh, the, the uh, slammies and the <laughs> land of a thousand dances to savage and steamboat and all that stuff. And, but of course, you know, we saw uh, like a sort of a litany of challengers for Hogan. And I think Jeff, you were enjoying one of the uh, clips we got to see because brother Brutai <laughs> was in there. I didn't realize that uh, Dizzy Boulder finally <laughs> took on uh, Terry Boulder or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you know your wrestling history, I- I've learned more that Ed Leslie, the real name of Brutai, Brother Brutai, he and Hogan were friends. And the story goes that at one point, uh, Hogan wasn't even interested in wrestling. But uh, Brutus Beefcake was like, but wait, you know, like, <laughs> you know, your bodybuilding will make you all this money if you know. And yeah, yeah. And sort of Hogan thought, oh, okay, well, I can keep up the weightlifting and, you know. And they were so, yeah, very, very tight. And yep. um, Brutus followed Hogan, you know, throughout his career. He went off to the WCW and had a bunch of silly gimmicks. But right. um, the best is yet to come for Brutus Beefcake because he'll have. Almost main event status, you know. Well, yeah, he'll share, yeah. he, he'll his, share his, main events with his Hogan. His status gets higher, but my favorite is the is you know his his prime run of Dream Team, you know, like yeah. when they were the champs and 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 then trying to get the belts back from the Bulldogs. But you're right, like as far as exposure goes, as far as placement on the card, he's 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 going up. I will grant you this: the Corey's getting to the point. I didn't realize that Brutus, the best Brutus Beefcake had this string of title matches against Hogan in 86 that I had no idea existed. I never saw a clip. I never saw yeah. a picture. I never saw a reference to it. So it's just kind of neat. Like these two guys are, uh, you know, the Burton Ernie. And uh, <laughs> I mean, like I always thought Brutus Beefcake was cool. And yeah, the best Beefcake for sure was when he was wrestling the Bulldog. So this was a great little clip and they showed. That's right, yeah. You know, he would finish. have had house show title shots at, at Hogan as well, but I can't recall ever seeing any of them. So this clip on this thing is probably, you know, in my memory, the only one I really got to see. It's like, it's like I knew they wrestled, but I never actually saw it. I totally got to see Hogan wrestle Valentine because that was on like a Coliseum video. And that's how I got to see that. But I never got to see the partner side of it, which was like, you know, and that would have actually happened before they were partners. But the point point is, and in this little clip, it's pretty funny. Hogan does everything he should do to like put Brutus away, like big boot, body slam, leg drop. But then he decides it's pretty great. Johnny V gets up on the apron <laughs> 
and Hogan goes to give him a swing and somehow misses. So then Johnny V's got him holding, holding, holding Hogan's arm. It's really funny. <laughs> and then Brutus Beefcake comes in for the flying knee, his best move. But Hogan gets out of the way, so Johnny V eats <laughs> the knee from the apron. Yikes. And uh, anyway, so that was cool. Yeah, I just didn't realize that, uh, I guess, you know, everybody gets a shot. Yeah. And it just makes me think again about, like, the idea of the over too much content in the new world. Like, just imagine this. WWE or AEW or anybody else doing a year-in-review show on TV. And, like, you wouldn't watch that again. Like, there's too much. You can't even keep up. There's, like, 10 or 12 hours of content every week. There's all these pay-per-views coming up. Like, you don't have time to go back and watch this stuff so our scarcity made it like so valuable <laughs> like you know the fact that we could only watch certain wrestling and had very few very little amount of it coming on a weekly basis meant that you know taping something was like okay i will watch this 10 or 15 or 20 times and there's a really cool interview at the end of that november 86 episode because it was the maple leaf wrestling the canadian version <laughs> and uh we'll talk a lot more about this next episode but billy red lions interviewing jake the snake roberts about a certain world title shot he might be having. So that was my favorite part of that whole tape. So I, I go back to it all the time. So here's a treat. I didn't realize that Black Jack Mulligan was so good on the stick. Um, he's a guest on Jake's, <laughs> uh, Jake the Snake, the Snake Pit. Jake, you know, he's so well-spoken. And he's talking about, uh, you know, different approaches in live technique and stuff like that and how he <laughs> likes the sneaky sly way, slip in through the side door, the back door. But this guy's big enough to walk through the front door. Even though Jake's only like only about an inch shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But about half as wide. <laughs> yeah. And now, so out comes Blackjack. And you know what? He's not that old either. You know, he's not no, no. he's not like, you know, Rick or Hogan, Flair or Hogan making their 14th comeback, you yeah, know? Yeah, He's still there. I still tell you, I fucking wish they had done some kind of awesome Blackjack Mulligan, Barry Windham tag team. That would have been so great. Yeah, they didn't miss each other by too much here. <laughs> Father, son could have been just incredible. Anyway, so, you know, Mulligan comes in. Jake, you know, he does his usual kind of taunting without taunting, but uh, definitely a couple of points that, that stuck out to me. Uh, that, uh, I mean, <laughs> for a second there, Mulligan sounded like Dusty Rhodes. A little bit. You yeah. know, he was like, milk and cow, <laughs> my favorite part, I guess in no particular order, but he's like, you know, riding horses, fixing barbed wire fences, you know, busting broncos. Going out with heavy set ladies. <laughs> These are the things I like to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, it's, he's also sharp. He, he was very responsive, Blackjack, right, yeah. for such a big guy because he's pointing at the crowd and saying, you know, waving and smiling. And, and then Jake <laughs> says, you know, some people call you just a big, dumb hick. And meanwhile, Jack's like, I'd like to say that, not to my face. <laughs> I was like, that was just all smooth. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Stumble free and sharp. And yeah, he was funny. I, I, I he would, did. He did like uh, Chuck Chuck Norris jokes before that was a thing. You know, he was like, oh. "Red rattlesnake bit me, bit me when I was eighteen months old and died." That's right. <laughs> I, I, I used, wear snake skin for, for diapers. <laughs> that was great too. He died. The snake died. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and towards the end there, um, not to my face. And then Jake was like, "Oh, it wasn't me, no sir." <laughs> Jake doesn't call a lot of people sir on That's the snake right. pit. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty I like great. He, he sizes up Damien at the very, very end, and he goes, that ought to make about two boots and whatever. Two say? pairs of boots and a billfold. That's right. You and Damien. <laughs> really good. 
And then Jake asked him what his favorite wrestling hold was. And he pauses and he goes, uh, it's either uh, drop kicks, which is hilarious because he Landry, doesn't need yeah. drop kicks, or f- f- it was something knuckle sandwiches. Knuckle, flurry of knuckle sandwiches. <laughs> and he puts his dukes right under Jake's nose. Yeah, and, and Jake does a great like like visual pop like, yeah. from it. He almost recoils. Startles. The, yeah. So he says, well, not today, but I might try you sometime. <laughs> that was a great bit. Yeah. Blackjack Mulligan was a good interview. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. If you can see it, give you a little crack. So we're going to the January 19th episode of Primetime Wrestling. Keep in mind, some of this stuff aired on earlier episodes of other syndicated TV, so don't get too wrapped up in that. But point is, mid-January, and it's a Piper's Pit. And it's iconic. It's a big one. So we see this massive trophy, like the biggest trophy you've ever seen, makes that WrestleMania four Battle Royal trophy look small. <laughs> and uh, Didn't they have a taller one? And they, they yeah. had a taller one with the Road Warriors, remember, <laughs> but it was unwieldy. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It was a really awkward, spindly, it was like a Kendall Wyndham tro- <laughs> style trophy. So just Hardly like, holding together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super narrow, skinny, but, so this is a, a much nicer trophy. It's a very around. nice trophy, yeah. It's it's very, you know, looks, looks very impressive. And Piper comes out and basically isn't really playing his normal role. He's kind of being more of a normal host. He's not being the Piper type host. And yeah. Saying, no, this is, oh, this I, is kind I, of a... I kind of cringe a little bit. I mean, this is a great segment, but yeah. you're right. This is not the Piper of 1985. Well, I think he's trying not to distract. Yeah. You know, so he it's can't... A, he's, trying, he's trying not to sort of own the show, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so but basically... I just kept imagining him like... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking things up for everybody. That's what I I wanted. This I wanted the end of Land of a Thousand Dances. Is yeah, what I wanted exactly. Anyway, go yeah. on. So he says, "Hey, this is one of the most important things that ever happened on my show." And he wants to bring out President Jack Tunney. So this is around the era where Jack Tunney starts getting a lot of airplay. We start seeing Jack Tunney on a fairly regular basis. I mean, we've seen him. We've mentioned him a couple times before. He had an inset promo about Danny Davis. I'm sure there's been other things, but this is the era where Jack Tunney really gets cemented into the fans, like little kids' minds. Like this guy's important. Jack Tunney is. He's yep. the boss. That's right. We don't know that Vince McMahon's the boss. We think Jack Tunney's the boss. Well, he's been avoiding honky tonks calls. He's right. been ducking. He doesn't <laughs> want right. to. You know, he's been <laughs> storming up and down every hallway looking for Jack Tunney. I want to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> so Jack Tunney reads out from this you know binder. He's got everything all written up, and it's what it says on the trophy. I doubt the trophy actually says everything he said because he talks for a long time. Oh, it's a big puff piece. Yeah. So the gist is is that you know the it's the three year anniversary week of Hulk Hogan winning the world title from the Iron Sheik. And we see footage of him leg dropping. Week is right. W-E-A-K week. <laughs> this is weak ass three years of nothing. <laughs> what? I'm the Piper. Oh, I'm gonna, Piper's okay. not going to do it. I'm going to do it. This is a puck piece. Baloney Jack that he take your trophy and shove out that big blonde. He said, what has he done? Nothing. He's been... <laughs> Yeah, so there. It's a montage of him talking, and you're seeing lots of visuals of Hogan, like walking through a crowd, waving a flag, all this good stuff. And they show the you know the celebration with the champagne. They show all that stuff, and so we're kind of building our way well, up. Well, yes. To like, well, who's pouring the champagne on him? Of course, Andre. Of course, Andre. Yeah, yeah we talked about it in other episodes of like you know maybe Andre could have sneak attacked Hogan when he blinded him with the champagne because right. famously champagne in the face is like one of the more uncomfortable things you can get. Yeah, like it just burns your eyes. But patience. So Hogan comes out and he's very appreciative and he's very happy. He's, he's full wrestling gear. He's got his world title around his waist. And he's no longer suspicious of Piper. Yeah, he's pretty He's pretty easy going with Piper. Because just like last episode, we had this match <laughs> That's where right. the two of them yeah. wanted to like <laughs> kick the shit out of each other. Even though they were tag yeah. partners. And like you know, Piper abandons them at the end of the match. <laughs> yeah. 
So Hogan's, I mean, like they're completely playing different roles. It's, yes. it's, it's not about Piper anymore. No. So basically Hogan accepts this trophy. He's really appreciative of it. And he talks about how it's like the most important thing, even as important as winning the world title, which makes no sense. But hey, he's just kind of hyping up the moment. And I think we see a couple more clips. And the editing is perfect. They come right back to the set right in time. Is that as they're talking and it's continuing, all of a sudden through the doorway, fee-fi-fo-fum, out comes Andre the Giant with a very genuine smile, looking very happy. Crowd pops huge. And the crowd pops for him. And it's great because Piper and Hogan, you know, play the part perfectly that they don't know he's coming. So yeah. And he's he, wearing his suit jacket. Yeah, his, his uh, rock, rock and wrestling, wrestling. outfit out. <laughs> <laughs> so these two giant hands come down on both Piper and Hogan and they both react and Hogan's great Hogan saw a ghost Hogan doesn't like being rolled up from behind Hogan yeah. doesn't like people sneaking up on him and yeah. Hogan does not like this giant hand on the back of his neck you know like yeah. but he realizes that there's a moment he he, he visually reacts so in, in, in one case, we've, we've seen this look all through Saturday Night's main event, though. Yeah, like, yeah, even yeah. when they've been pals, like Andre will, will clamp on his yeah, yeah. Hogan's like, oh, for one second. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we've seen this before. Yeah. Hogan's a little frightened of Andre. So Hogan does finally kind of, you know, start getting excited that Andre's there and start smiling and, you know, yeah, yeah, he's here. So Piper sticks the, the mic in Andre's face and says, you know, this is your best, you know, Hogan's best friend, Andre the Giant. What do you have to say? And Andre's very kind of quiet and says basically something along the lines of, Three years to be a champion, that's a long time. And then he turns and faces Hogan, and Hogan's nervously smiling and waiting to see what's going to happen. So Andre gives him a nice handshake. But wait, <laughs> it's the, the hand starts crushing Hogan's hand, and he doesn't, you know, he's not down on his knees or yeah, anything, but he's, it's a subtle, like, ouch. Like, you can tell that Hogan's not enjoying this handshake. Yeah. And then Andre just walks away, and Hogan's pointing at him and trying to just, you know, kind of keep everything on the up and up that him and Andre are buddies to the end, but it's the first of several of these episodes which are going to, you know, lead to I think the most important match in wrestling history. Yeah, I not the best, not the best, not a no. not a good match, but I don't think just anything importance. Yeah. Nothing else captured as much of the uh public attention at the time as WrestleMania 3. No. I think can't touch it, but there it is. There's the first one. We all remember how it ends, but it's these are the beginnings. I can't believe that I had forgotten completely about Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester. I I didn't even remember this guy. I don't know what explains it because he's now like the best uh, elite <laughs> jobber. You know, he, he. I think he's so fun. He's he's great. Do, did we discuss it on air? The bunkhouse. Yeah, everything yeah, we yeah, did. Okay, us, so yeah. what a delight to learn that they gave him. Yeah, of course we did. Yeah. And I told my story about the cartoon. Right. So here he's got a match against a competitive match against. Mike Rotundo. The program is Wrestling Challenge? This is a prime time still. That oh, same episode time. we were just talking about with the All right. Pit. Yeah. So Pete Doherty, really, he's probably the noisiest wrestler that I can think of. <laughs> I, I, you, know, you know, outside of somebody like a Brody who has yeah, yeah. his bark. Yeah. And Al Casey did that a lot too, you know, had a yeah. bit of a bark. Anyway, and then the Barbarian, which or Nord, John Nord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hus Hus, which he's copying from... Yeah. Bruiser Brody, yeah. Right. So Pete Doherty's always growling or talking, you yep. know, because the thing is, if you start to talk, then, you know, when do you turn it off? If you're right. a guy in the ring, you know, so Mike Rotundo doesn't say the word the whole match, yeah, right. you know, but Pete Doherty doesn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's great fun. Pete Doherty is like landing, you know, lots of shots. He's got, yep. he's he, lots of moves. It's almost like a 50-50 match until they go home. Really? Right. Yeah. Very uh, fun and competitive. Doherty's missing a bunch of teeth and he's just just such a colorful 
and outlandish. You know, he's definitely less about an athletic competition and more about, you know, this boisterous, you know, big, <laughs> you know, I don't know. He's like a comic book character more than an athlete. But, you know, I'm not saying he's... Uh, not an athlete. On the other hand, he doesn't look like today's wrestlers. He looks, no, he's no. a Stan Hansen body. You know, like I doesn't, you wouldn't yeah. necessarily think he's in the gym or anything. Rotundo always had, had a weird physique because he's got the really defined built shoulders and arms, but he's kind of got this like not athletic looking chest. It's almost a weird, he kind of carries some weight there that doesn't really, it doesn't fit in with the rest of his body. <laughs> always, that's why I think in the, in the varsity club, he always wore his, you know, his wrestling shirt because like it just gave a better look. He looked more intimidating. Yeah. And then when he's coming to collect your taxes, that's when nobody exactly. wants to see yes. Mike Rotundo at your door. Yeah, it keeps the dress shirt on. With the briefcase <laughs> and, the, and the tie and spenders and glasses. So it was lots of fun. Let, what about some of the actual moves that were in there? Well, I, I mean, it was just the very start because they come in in progress and we get Doherty on the apron and the camera's up close to him. And he's like, as Jeff said, he's like, he's laying on the apron, looking out to the crowd talking. <laughs> And the whole time he's winning, he's always, as Jeff says, he's talking to the crowd or talking to the ref. And there is a spot near the end where he goes to the top rope. Unfortunately, the camera angle switches to behind him because I, I wanted because it's it's really good camera work in terms of the fact that like you know Rotundo's coming and going to catch him, but like you won't see him. He comes from off camera, so that's just as Doherty finally gets to the top rope after yapping to the crowd. In comes Mike Rotundo to slam him, and that leads to a spinning airplane, a really fast one. And Doherty like sticks his arms and his legs straight out to like make himself more aerodynamic <laughs> to speed it up. And he gets slammed for the big, uh, the big pinfall. And I thought he did a, he did a really funny thing when he was leaving. The security's helping him get down the aisle, and Doherty's doing the like rubber legs, like he's all like dizzy, yeah. you know, like if someone gets up from Can't after walk spinning a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. When they come back, Gorilla Monsoon is recounting how Pete Doherty did win his first match after some eight thousand <laughs> matches, <laughs> and that he was supposed to retire after his first victory, but he in fact did not. That's right. Still in the business. Yeah. And then they actually, as they're showing you the replays, you hear noise and you realize there's something happening in the ring. And when they come back, the Dream Team have snuck into the ring and, and sabotaged, backstabbed Mike Rotundo. Yeah. They, he, they were just supposed to talk. He was like, you know, we're just going to have a nice friendly chat. That's you right. Know, but they know they double-crossed him. Dan Spivey does come in to save his partner. And they're continuing the heat with this U.S. Express point yeah, 2.0. We're getting near the end of the run for the U.S. Express because Mike Rotundo's not going to be around too much longer. But it is sort of, that's where they were going. They were, you know, setting up this, you know, keep continuing or setting up this dream team sort of U.S. Express, re, re, you know, what do you call it? Like Reboot. Re, re, reboot. Re, redo. Yeah. <laughs> so we have another Piper's Pit. Following the presentation of the trophy to Hulk Hogan, Jack Tunney comes out once again with his black leather secret documents. <laughs> That's right. And he says, this is what's written on the trophy. And I'm like, where? <laughs> the smallest writing ever. <laughs> exactly. And he gives a pretty decent little speech. He says that Andre's never been defeated. He calls him the greatest wrestling athlete of all, all time. time. Yeah. yeah. Quite the... Um, Accolades. Yes, indeed. Of course, Andre comes out. Lots of cheers for him. Big smile again. Yeah. Looks happy. And Piper asks him to uh, share his thoughts. Andre, you know, he takes a second. Mm -hmm. And then he says, (laughs) (laughs) And before he can say his one thing, who comes out stealing the spotlight but that big blonde bozo Hulk Hogan? 
And so, yeah, Hogan comes onto the set and uh, the mic is put, he, Piper puts the mic over for Hulk to talk. And he says, I think I'm more excited about this than you. He picks up the trophy and hands it to Andre and just goes on a whole speech about how Andre was his role model and he, he's got the best sense of fair play and he's the greatest and all that stuff. The true champion, Hogan says. The people or something of the Exactly. Direction. But eventually, uh, Andre, you know, just puts down the trophy, trophy and, uh, Walks away. That's right. So Hogan, you know, once again, gestures to Andre and he's like, whoa, huh? What? But he puts it down to modesty that Andre's walked away. That's right. Yeah. That's the biggest something of modesty I can remember. Yeah. And Piper also looks confused, but, uh, you know, there's trouble. That's right. Is Andre looks offended at Hogan basically taking his, taking his slender. (laughs) And then Bobby Heenan points it out. That's right. You know, that's beautifully. uh, Rubs it in. (laughs) <laughs> he made it better, said Monsoon. I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> I loved. So right before this Piper's Pit, there was a little bit where Heenan's on the phone with Betty, his imaginary assistant or whatever, and he's writing all this stuff down and Monsoon's making fun of him. And eventually, Bobby's got the big news to break. He's like, so here you hear it first. It's like, WrestleMania 3, March 29th. And Grella's like, we already knew that. And he's like, no, we didn't. And it's so great because Bobby just looks totally baffled that his whole investigative journalist, uh, you know, attempts have been totally foiled and he just gets nothing out of it. No scoop for Bobby. <laughs> also, there was a nice little bit with the Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart outside an actual diner called Elvis's Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> That's right. And uh looks a little cold. You can see their yeah, breath. Yeah. The streets are wet. You yeah. know, it's... um. And, uh, you know, Honky's trying to stay warm. You know, he's he's kind of just bouncing on the spot. And, you know, they just talk about uh, Honky's still in this delusion. I mean, like, that was a great angle. It's like, as a heel, he thought everybody loved him. That's right. It was a really good angle. You know, all my fans want to hear me sing, hear me yeah. play, and they love me. <laughs> they all just you know? the roading cards and letters. That's right. And so he's saying, all my fans are going to come and eat at my restaurant, and I'm going to serve up Honky Burgers. <laughs> so that was a fun bit. Yeah. Like, like Heart and uh, Honky Tonk were made for each other. That's for sure. That's right. And just to wrap up what we talked about a minute, a few minutes ago was that there's a tag team match on this episode earlier. It's the Dream Team versus the U.S. Express or American Express or U.S. Express 2 or however you want to say it. Or Visa. MasterCard, or Visa, whatever you, know, you got. Yeah, cash charge, you know. <laughs> but yeah, we just skipped to the very end of it. And uh, basically, one of the things we liked is that we got a, a look and a reference to the ref that we loved from the big event, the August 1986 big event in Toronto, Canada, the John... Benello. Benello. And we had to look him up and found out that he was a wrestler back in the day and like an NWA tag team champion and all this stuff. That, Wild. But we just loved he him. He looks so small compared yeah, to all yeah. these guys in the ring. That's right. But we just loved the way he, he grabbed Hogan's hair. In the, in yeah, he was back. a really good part of the big event. Yeah, he was. So and that was really awesome. of course, you can always tell Toronto because the ring. Yeah, the ramp. Leads right to the ring. It's at yeah. the same elevation. It's a bit of a weird ending because basically the referee kind of loses control. There's a hot tag to Spivey. He beats them all up. Uh, Donnie V gets up on the apron and takes a shot. And then basically after he does a bulldog to beefcake, Rotundo was distracting the ref and Hammer does like a pretty weak looking second rope, like forearm bash, which is like the only damage that Spivey had taken after tagging in and he gets pinned off of it. So yeah, it was kind of, it was bad. Does not compute. They, they missed it. <laughs> the math. Somebody screwed up the math here. That's right. <laughs> Look at that health bar. That's right. Ridiculous. 
<laughs> I mean, give them a megaphone. Well, not not. Well, yeah, what, what, they the, don't have a weapon. Give them the something. Give them a give chair. Give them a cigar. Shot or, yeah. You know, do some kind of move before Frick you a do cigar, that. Frick a cigar. Cigar over his head. It just especially because it didn't even look. I guess it's like if it had looked more dead, like it looked like a savage elbow or like a yeah. somebody's knee drop or something. You know, like Bob Eaton's leg drop. You know, then you could maybe buy it. But it was like the sort of just half half-hearted arm forearm smash. Like double axe handle. I mean, a nice. Yeah. You know, not a finisher, unfortunately. No. But I mean, I guess they're they were counting too heavily on the fact that he didn't see it coming. You know, like yeah. sneak attack damage, like D and D. You they know, definitely Backstab. in the eighties. If a guy got an elbow drop when he wasn't expecting it, like if he was covering somebody and somebody else came in and just dropped an elbow on him, just standing elbow drop, that often would, you know, get a pinfall or something right. out of it. So can't 100% complain, but yeah, it looked a little off. He was kicking too much ass before <laughs> That's that right. to have that done to him, Dan Spivey. That's right. I never gave him enough credit at the time. There are a number of comparisons in the World Wrestling Federation regarding who is the biggest, the meanest, the toughest in professional wrestling. Two of the biggest have to be 465-pound King Kong Bundy and the Ugandan headhunter Kamala. Let's see him in action. Whoa! Watch this move. Don Elton! Oh, no! Avalanche! Covered by Bundy. Kamala on the top rope! SD backing Big King Kong Bundy back up to the rope. Gives him a world. No reversal. Look out, there's Bundy. Oh. That's the avalanche. Forget about it. Biggest, meanest, toughest. Maybe we should add outspoken. Certainly Bundy would lead in that category. You know, everybody's talking about Kamala, the Ugandan head hunter. Well, let me tell you something. Compared to six foot six, 468 pound King Kong Bunny, he ain't nothing. And when you talk about his big splash, when you put that thing up against my avalanche, there's just no comparison. Kamala, you're going to feel what that avalanche is all about. King Kong Bundy and Kamala. Two big names, two big men. For update, I'm Gene Okerlund. You know, I'm surprised, Bobby. I thought that since the first time I saw Bundy, I thought that for a big guy, he was excessively quick, but now I see I see Kamala, and uh, he's moving around, he's moving at 500 pounds around pretty good. <clears throat> but Kamala uses that top rope. He comes off that top rope. Think if Bundy came off that top rope. Does I don't think Bundy have the agility to yes, get up there. Yes, he does. There? Yes, he does. Gene Okerlund's the luckiest. That's the best I've ever seen him look. You realize when you show Kamala, and then you show Bundy, and then you show Okerlund, it's the only time in television history he's been on an interview with three people and had more hair. Oh, come on. Come on. Give Simple. me a break. Roll it back. Why are you picking on Mean Gene for? He always has good things to say about you, even though they're lies. Yeah, I got good things to say about him, too. Somebody told me he wasn't fit to eat with dogs, and I said he was. I'll tell you what. I think that uh, King Kong Bundy and Kamala, sooner or later, are going to have to get it on. We'll be back. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna head over to the February second primetime edition. We got one more really important Piper's Pit we want to cover, and then we got two feature matches to take it home this week. So there is an unusual piece where uh, they <laughs> really got their editor to they put him to work. He That's had right. to, he took footage of all these different places across North America. But first, I guess we'll set it up. A very phony looking locking That's locker right. room, it's totally like. That's, Saved by the bell or something set. Yeah, you know, like. strange because this. Why not just do it in a real locker room? Exactly. Anyway, yeah. uh, very unbelievable TV set locker room um, has 
Rick Martell and Tom Zank enter, and they are having a conversation about the merits of their respective countries. And it starts off with uh, the seafood and Fisherman's Wharf, I guess, in San Francisco. Francisco, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and he was like, oh, I love that food last night. And then I thought that Rick was going to say, yeah, well, what about uh, the night before when we were in Montreal? And he'd say, oh, and the night before in in New York. And I was like... They're going to be all over the world each right. date. But anyway, they... They uh, they keep comparing different cities to each other, like different parts about Canada and U.S., without actually, like, making a dig at each other. It's almost like this polite bragging or something. Yeah. And so you... It, uh, it was... It was okay. <laughs> I think the one that got the laugh was the when Rick was like the something something and the girls. <laughs> yeah, actually, the part that made me I, I, that part that made me laugh the most was for whatever reason um, the video we watched had the subtitles on it, right? right and they were yeah. talking about you know Rick Martel says ooh that French cuisine ooh la la and the French girls oh yeah and yeah, then yeah. Tom Zink is like they they switch the topic away from women yeah 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 and then they go back to uh, you know oh in BC we got the Rocky Mountains and all those legs uh, he actually says lakes but. It, they mis- it, it mistranslated on the screen and says legs. So I thought they were back to the, you know, BC yeah, women right. and their beautiful legs <laughs> from going up and down all that mountain climbing. You know, we got those amazing BC legs. Yeah, they're just really playing into the whole Can-M connection, you know, like tag team name and, and this idea that they're these yeah. two countries well, put we together. Got, we got the Peace Garden here in Manitoba. I think it maybe straddles the border or something. Special mm-hmm. little dual, yeah, well, maybe dust off your... Wrong buzzer, but we'll go. We'll go Google the Peace Gardens. I think it's a Canadian American cooperation. That's right. And we got to get back to Piper's Pit because he's talking to Jesse Ventura. A tale of two trophies. We have them <laughs> on set. Piper's Pit side by side. Andre's trophy, Hogan's trophy, and they're the exact same model. Yeah, just a little scaled down. Yeah, one's definitely smaller. And Piper comes out having parked his own personality temporarily <laughs> in storylines, he brings out Jesse, who actually, it takes a long time for Jesse to say, I know something, but I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, I think the We're thing really we might be missing out. is on his, on maybe superstars, Jesse would have said something about, like, I found out this, and he's talking to McMahon, saying, alluding to this kind of stuff, right. which leads up to him being on this. Right. So I only actually got interested in the bit when they was started to go nose to nose and Jesse said, there's two ways we can settle this. And the crowd gets really excited. And sure enough, Jesse says, one of them's getting into the ring. And for a second, you yeah. know, Piper's ripping his shirt off. Jesse takes his jacket off. It looks great. You're thinking, who? I've never seen these two guys wrestle. They, yeah. they teamed up the, for the element. The hillbillies are out of the way and now it's time for them to fight. <laughs> yeah. So that got exciting. But the other thing is that, uh, so just skillful. Uh, on Jesse's part, he said, "The second way is we can get the two man one on one to discuss this." Because he you know, also Jesse points out the whole trophy. Yes, you know it, it goes on a bit long, but it you know it, it actually was a good bit. Maybe they just could have uh, tightened up the bit because you know, Jesse takes a long time to say, "I'm not talking." Yeah, basically that he knows and he's not talking. And all that stuff. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I love I loved the one point he goes back to the trophies too. He's like, look at this. Isn't this trophy a, a foot taller than this trophy? This one's real gold. <laughs> That's some kind of rotten lead. <laughs> what is he? he doesn't even bite them. Nothing. No, no. <laughs> and it's so obviously the same. You know, I'll take the large model and the extra large model, That's please. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that, that wraps up this sort of, uh, this episode's Piper's Pits segments. And leaves it as a cliffhanger for next week, as we'll come back to like a really big Piper's Pit, where all parties involved will be on set 
to get to the bottom of this mystery. It's going to say, how stupid are these fans who have no idea that the heel turn's coming? They're just like, <laughs> you know, it's so telegraphed, so obvious, and yet they're just oblivious. Idiots. Yeah. I do give Andre credit for like the, the the being personable when he's on the stage. You know, he comes out and he's smiling and he's not, it's not like he broke the trophy over Hogan's head on the first week or something. No. <laughs> so after that exciting Piper's Pit where Jesse Ventura set up everything between Hogan and Andre, there is an important squash match. And that is Hercules Hernandez with his manager Bobby Heenan taking out some chump. But it's slightly different because what they're doing in this match is they're really pushing the idea that Hercules Hernandez is now using the full Nelson and he's the real true master of the full Nelson with all the power of this god <laughs> and and he's looking great this is this is the primetime Hercules like all these different versions we saw in 86 and you can get later in his career when he gets puffier but when you're talking like this really 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 late 86 and most of 87 he's just so chiseled so cut and he just looks you know amazing he's cut his hair shorter and uh, yeah, he really stands out. So Hercules puts away this foe very easily, of course. We do note that the full Nelson looks very strange. It eventually morphs into the, like the guy's arms are straight up like 12 o'clock, both arms. And Hercules' hands are almost on top of his head instead of behind them. So it's like, how is he actually applying much pressure here? But we'll forgive that. And of course he's announced It's a, it's as, a new hold. It's yeah. a new hold. So he's announced as the winner. And Bobby Heenan gets in and he's holding Hercules' chain, but he's got the microphone and he he actually takes over Fink or whoever's the ring announcer's job is and he's doing the announcing of announcing Hercules as the winner, but declaring him the new master of the full Nelson and declaring that nobody can break Hercules' full Nelson and he calls everybody out in the locker room, but specifically he calls out Billy Jack Haynes. And we actually see the spotlight on the, you know, the aisle. Bobby all of a sudden looks a little worried. He doesn't he doesn't really want Billy Jack to come out and Billy does so he gets in the ring and he's he doesn't have a, you know the shiny yellow jacket on or anything he's in, he's in like blue jeans and boots but he's got no shirt on and Jeff made a good note when he saw the two men finally like really standing side by side you know what what that look was well they're both almost the same size and weight and shape yeah they're very Mirror they're very image. evenly matched so there is important to note that there was sort of a house show or one of these I can't remember if it was a Boston or a, a New York taping or whatever but there was a Harley race versus Billy Jack Haynes match and the end result of that match actually ends up with Bobby Heenan and Billy Jack's full Nelson. So they're kind of, the Heenan family's looking for some revenge on, on Billy Jack here. So Billy Jack comes in the ring and he turns his back to Hercules and he sticks his arms up and he says, come on, go ahead, put, put it on. I can get out of it. That's sort of, you know, what you think's going on. So Hercules looks excited to give it a try. But Bobby, who's standing in front of both of them, facing Billy Jack Haynes, is waving no, 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 and steps in. And Billy Jack Haynes kind of like steps towards him and points at him. So he looks over his shoulder and Hercules is waiting for him. So he puts his arms up again. So Hercules is getting ready to lock in that phone, Nelson. But once again, Bobby Heenan interferes and says no, 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 and steps in. So Billy Jack says, enough of this. And he gives the weasel a nice little shove. And this time when he looks over his shoulder to see if Hercules is ready to give him the full Nelson, uh -huh. he gives him the clothesline. An awesome Hercules clothesline. Just just decapitates him and gives him some stumps and some boots. And then he puts Billy Jerk in the full Nelson and uh, basically puts him down and helps light the fire of this match at WrestleMania 3. Good bit. Yeah, we're going to see. There's some more stuff too, but it'll come up in our next episode. Here we go. We'll keep going. And now it's time to get to the first of our two feature matches for this week. And it's a big one. It's a painful memory, but it's something we got to do. We got to go down this road. So as we've recently been covering the Dynamite Kid massive injury in December, really derailed the Bulldogs title reign. And we see in the co-shows that Davey Boy 
like he was earlier in the year in 86. He's tagging with a lot of different people. He's tagging with Junkyard Dog, Billy Jack Haynes. I think this is a Blackjack Mulligan match where he's his tag team partner. So they're going around the circuit, beating the Hart Foundation and other challengers, but with like this weird mixed variation of Davey Boy and whoever his partner of the day is. So they do announce that there's going to be a title defense on TV, and this is sort of a follow-up to, as we remember, there was a non-title win by the Hart Foundation, a real sneaky, dirty, cheaty win, where Danny Davis was fucking things up, and that's going to bring us back to this. But it's just important to note sort of like that idea that it's kind of like Tito and Savage, where Tito's pinning Savage all over the place, but then when it really counts, you know, look out. So that's going to bring us up there. I just wanted to cut, touch on one other thing that happened before that, before this airs, is on January 15th, Jim the Anvil Nightheart is arrested on an airplane for punching a flight attendant oh, and Jesus. ends up missing some, uh, some, some dates. Apparently he's like charged something, but then it's actually like it's dropped. So he does, he does end up wow. kind of getting, getting out of the problem, but he does miss some shows. Another thing is because this Bulldogs match is into, and Heart Foundation is into February on January 28th. Bobby Heenan wins a, a battle royal by last eliminating the Crusher. Wow. <laughs> I guess Pete Doherty, you know, got the night yeah, off. I didn't see his name on the list there, but yeah, they're in Rockford, Illinois. And I don't know how Heenan weaseled his way out of this one, but he did. He defeats the Crusher. <laughs> he probably, the Crusher probably threw somebody out and was hanging over the ropes and Bobby just probably yeah. like, you know, tipped his leg over. To, wow. I'm sure Crusher isn't taking any back body drops over the top rope to the outside, so... <laughs> Not at that age. No, he's not. <laughs> okay, so we get, uh, right before we get to the Bulldogs match, there's an update with Mean Gene, and it's talking about the Pontiac Silverdome. So here we're talking about the actual location for WrestleMania three has been identified now, and and uh, the fact that it's going to be able to accommodate over 90,000, all this great things, and it really just kind of gets you in the mood, and that, that I think it's one of the first times we get to see that tagline of bigger, better, better. <laughs> WrestleMania three. <laughs> Right. Well, WrestleMania 2 was a little underwhelming, but anyway, that's another scoop that Bobby Heenan does not have. That's right. So the way this editing works, we come in and we don't get any intros. We see Davey Boy entering the ring with Matilda, and the Hart Foundation's already in the ring, and it's a real tight shot of the ring. We can't even see Dynamite at this point, but... I can tell they've done this so that they can avoid actually showing how Davey Boy got Dynamite to the ring, which famously he carried Dynamite on his back out to the ring because Dynamite's back was so bad that I guess he couldn't really walk properly. So he literally carried him to the ring. But in my mind, I sort of have a visual of that. So I wonder if like yeah, I feel the version I saw, I, I remember seeing him like dropping Dynamite off on the corner of the ring, you know, like kind of right. letting him down. And then he's just sort of propping himself up on his forearms on the, you know, on the edge of the, of the apron. So did he you know, get up on the apron or did he? Nope. He's nope, on the floor? He never, he never leaves the floor. No. So the Fink is announcing the match and Davey Boy and Matilda charge. <laughs> so they're in after the Hart Foundation, all three of them, and he's chasing them all and they're scurrying. So Brett and Jim bail to the floor and Davey Boy chases them with Matilda and Jimmy Hart goes the other way. And that's where we see Danny Davis, that fucking miserable piece of shit he brings the bell he's waving for the for the bell to ring so as davy boy has them cornered the edits real tight real quick you see a blindside real just you only see a millisecond of it but jimmy hart nails dynamite kid in the back of the head with a megaphone Bastard. takes him out and dynamite's down face down on the mat and just holding the back of his head on and, the floor 
Yeah, on the floor. On yeah, he's not yeah, even on the not, apron. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's right by the corner where the stairs were. Right, and he's just laid out. So that leaves Davy Boy to wrestle the match by himself. But Davy Boy is Superman and <laughs> is going to kick the shit out of the Hart Foundation. It, it, you know. As long as he can. So as soon as the the bell's gone, Davy Boy's back in. He's punching Bret Hart down, jumping headbutt. Anvil goes down. They're just like there's nothing they can do to him for for quite a while, which is pretty awesome. And so when I watched this as a kid, I was still confident that my Bulldogs were going to win. And remember that we didn't even get like this is like the eighth or tenth time I've ever gotten to see the Bulldogs wrestle somebody good. You know, like not right. the squash matches, but like my Coliseum tapes, my Saturday Night's main events. You know, whatever matches they might have had, that stupid non-title loss to the Hart Foundation before. Like, I literally I can count them on two hands, right? So I'm like, I there's, you know, I was confident that even with whatever was going on, it's all storyline. I have no idea that Dynamite's injured, you know? Like, you don't know that as a kid. You're just watching, thinking like, this is part of the storyline. You know, this yep. kind of stuff happens all the time. I People remember. get powder in their face or <laughs> get hit with a foreign object to start, so... And the commentary really ignores the fact that, like, Dynamite never even was up on the apron. Like, why wasn't he in the ring, you know, chasing the Heart Foundation with Matilda and stuff like that? They just don't even really address it, so. And Davy Boyd's got his uh, long red tights on with this, uh, the Union Jack and sort of the blue, it almost looks like blue trunks over top of tights. They're obviously all one piece, but it's kind of that, this is, this and the white version are kind of the, you know, the, the final versions, let's say, of the, you know, of the Bulldogs outfits as a team and stuff like that, so. And I, they look awesome. I think these, I think these look great. So as Davy Boy starts beating up Brett and Jim, Danny Davis leaves the ring to go check on Dynamite, and he basically just stands over him, and he's almost like it's like he's admonishing him for like being on the floor, like he's like get up on the apron or something. You can't, of course, you can't hear what he's saying, but you have to just imagine, and he's just taking forever doing this. Oh, makes sense. Go take your, you know, grab the rope, grab the corner rope, right? The referee. Yeah. He's like, that's what you, you're supposed to. Got yeah, but it's like, he's not the legal man. So you think he would be more worried about what was going on in the ring. But, with you know, Danny Davis. With Danny Davis. Yeah. So he's just basically left the Hart Foundation to try and double team Davy Boy. But Davy Boy's pissed off. So they're in trouble. So Brett is whipped in, into the ropes for a big running clothesline. Takes a big bump. Anvil gets up just in time from his headbutt to be slammed. A huge body slam. And then a stunned Brett stands up to be hooked into a delayed vertical suplex. So Dave Boy's just like on the beat. You know, these guys stand up and he nails them. So Dave Boy just doesn't even need a, pa- a partner. He's just manhandling the two of them at the same time. So the crowd noise has either been sweetened or is insane. Like this crowd is so upset at what happened to Dynamite and so excited for Davey Boy to be beating these guys up. And just they hate Danny Davis, you know. So it's like you're just the whole time there's this loud noise happening the entire time. And... You know, because it's uh, of where, where I'm watching this, it's not on the WWE Network, so I, I'm kind of thinking it's maybe more like the original footage. And it is it is just that excited of a crowd, you know, it's, they're just that into it. So Davey gives Jim a punch and then just tosses him out of the ring. And Bret Hart's backing off on his knees, begging. And we see a quick replay to remind us of why Dynamite's, you know, a corpse on the outside. You get another shot, another angle of the, uh, the megaphone crack to the head. He's still laying down. McMahon questions where Davis is as he stands over Dynamite, like he's chastising him, as I said, for not being on the apron. Anvil tries the attack from behind, but it's just not working. He gets caught. There's a double noggin knocker, and that sends both Hart Foundation members just reeling. And Anvil's drunk walking, staggering around the ring, and Davey Way whips Brett into him, and that spills the Anvil out of the ring, takes a big bump outside of the ring. Davis finally returns into the ring as Brett is being lifted to his feet by his hair, so Dave Way's picking him up. 
and Anvil slides in under the ring ropes to try and get the double teaming going again, which has not been successful. Bret Hart takes a sternum first bump into the corner, but not the typical one because he doesn't go down. It's not like he's colliding into a wall and falling back. He holds onto the ropes and turns himself around in the corner. So now he's in the corner in a normal way. Anvil attempts to attack Davy Boy with no effect. Davy Boy takes him and whips him into Bret Hart, and he does that, that NFL football shoulder tackle style, and he and it's awesome. Anvil like hits Bret Hart in the like a flying shoulder tackle and bounces off of Bret Hart, like you know, several feet away from the landing face for and it's just great. Bret Hart staggers out of the corner after that, and Davy Boy gives him a real quick drop kick, and he takes an awesome like backwards head first bump to the outside so his feet are up in the air he's almost like you know like upside down like with his body leaning up against the apron and his head on the mat and jimmy hart's trying to wake him up he's like knocked out so mcmahon is like you know again complaining about what's happened to dynamite and jesse's pointing out well it's, it's fine both 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 teams have a men that are knocked out on the outside right so it's, it's all good Davy Boy points to a slithering anvil and picks him up over his shoulder for a patented Davy boy smith running power slam as soon as he starts to come out of the corner with them, Danny Davis immediately turns around and just walks down the stairs and goes starts talking to check on Dynamite. Yeah. So Davy Boy's trying to get the pin, which he has. He's got like the 10 count or whatever. So finally, Davy Boy comes over and he reaches through the ropes and he grabs that weasel Danny Davis by the hair and he starts pulling him up onto the apron. And just at that moment, Bret Hart's back in. And finally, the Hart Foundation get their offense going. So they start punching and kicking Davy Boy. And it's a two-on-one. And Davis isn't doing anything to, like, make who's the legal man or, like, send anybody to their corner. It's just a permanent two-on-one. And Davy Boy's already spent, you know, so much energy kicking their ass. So, you know, it's rope-a-dope maybe, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. They're just waiting for it. So they're finally able, able to, like, land the sucker shot, get the advantage. They got him in the corner. They're, you know, kicking him, hitting him and stuff like that. Davis leaves again. He goes back to Dynamite again. He just keeps, you know, leaving the ring to sort of give the cover of the fact of why he's not doing his job. So there's a double whip and they're on Smith and they give him the double back elbow to knock him down. And they're stomping and punching him. Davis is keeping his back to the action and he's up on the apron again yelling at Dynamite, it seems, it seems to be. And he's just looking at him. So Davey is then hooked into what we have to call a two-man DDT. So we saw it once on a, a match before with them where Anvil did it wrong. It was almost like Anvil thought they were doing a suplex and Bret Hart was doing a DDT. And this time they, they do it right. They do, they do it like it looks exactly like what it's supposed to look like. And Davey Boy really takes a big bump off of it. So in modern wrestling, the DDT, now these guys have perfected this way of sort of Ted DiBiasing themselves, you know, spiking their heads, really making it look like just insane, which is kind of funny since it never gets a pin. But anyways, so Davey Boy really sells it, this double DDT. So Jimmy Hart is leaping for joy with his megaphone. He's so happy as Anvil lifts Davy Boy Smith into the bear hug position. And Brett runs those ropes for the heart attack clothesline. And Anvil jumps on him for the cover. And Davis rushes in and like the flash in a very fast three count. And we got new champions of the world. But not for long, I told myself. There's no way. <laughs> exactly. My bulldogs aren't coming back for another shot. <laughs> I'm going to have a second you know, double dip in that championship gold. <laughs> <sighs> and to just rub salt in the wound, Davis leaves with the Hart Foundation. He like he, oh. he it's like he's part of them, and he's he's rubbing Bret Hart on the shoulders in the back. You know, he's just totally showing that he's just a part of it. And Davy Boy's just out in the middle of the ring, and Dynamite's still down. So this is one of the problems I have. The sun sets on the British Empire. Now they needed to have a reason to take Dynamite out of the match. Obviously, make a phone of the head, pretty good. But I can't help but think back to Roddy Piper no selling Jimmy Hart's megaphone shot to the back of the head. Right. Yeah, well, that's why these botches are costly. Yeah, you know, I think what they should have done is when 
Davy Boy was chasing them, he should have chased, like, for example, Bret Hart and Jimmy Hart around one side of the ring and then let Anvil go give him the, the megaphone shot. Because it's like little weakling Jimmy Hart shouldn't be able to hit Dynamite hard enough that he can't get up for, like, you know, all that time. Right. Dynamite Kid. But may, Yeah, Dynamite Kid, yeah. You but said Dynamite like, Hart. Dynamite Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Davy Boy Hart. was part of the family. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's uh, understandable because uh, later yeah. on, you know, Bulldog joins the Hart Foundation. Well, of course, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so, so that was the one thing. Uh, looking back now, I'm like, ah, oh, they should have, they should have, yeah, let Anvil or Brett be the one to to take out Dynamite, so that at least you could be like, okay, like a real strong guy, hit him with that that megaphone. Because right. Weakling Jimmy Hart shouldn't be able to take out Dynamite, but it was tough to take at the time, and oh, also, but devastated the, not knowing about Dynamite Kid's injury, you know, yeah. just obviously something's up, right? Yeah, not Where, not knowing enough thinking that injuries that we see in wrestling are fake. Yeah. You know, I always was under the impression that everything I saw on there was like planned yeah. and like the way it should be or whatever. Right. So. Kayfabe. Yeah. But, but to not even get up on the apron was like, what? That you yeah, knew exactly. something was really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. He never even attempted to get in the ring. It wasn't even close. So. Didn't take, well, I guess he took the, the mega, he took the megaphone shot, but didn't throw a punch. Nope. Didn't throw a punch. Not, not even a, you know, not yeah. a chance. And like, so why, like, again, go back to it. Why does Dynamite not know that Jimmy Hart's running up behind him to hit him with the megaphone? Jimmy Hart was like on the clear other side of the ring of him, right. like diagonally, and he would have been in his peripheral the entire time. Yeah. And why wasn't Dynamite heading around the other side of the ring to attack them? You know, like it just, yeah. they, they should have, I don't know, they could, have, they could have set it up a bit differently, I think. Maybe maybe more of like the uh, Rock and Roll Express, Minute Express type of attack where it's like a more true from behind attack because they made Dynamite look kind of like a dummy. If you pretend that he's healthy, like why why is he so uninvolved and so easily taken out? So of course, McMahon brings up that it's the biggest disgrace in the history of WWF officiating, which I fully concur. And Jesse admits that it's a little bit controversial, but we got new champions. <laughs> yep. Oh, too bad. Davy Boy Smith, of course, would eventually become the British Bulldog. Yeah, he trademarked that uh, that name after their little. They had a bit of a business falling out, I guess, and they're they're when they're doing Japan and doing this and doing that. And Davy Boy knew he wanted to go back to WWF, and Dynamite didn't. And obviously, Dynamite's you know really should have stopped wrestling at that point, anyways. But he wanted to try to keep doing it. But he wasn't. You know, he knew he knew he wasn't going to get any work. And then finally, I guess Davy Boy trademarked. British Bulldog, which is what kind of caused a permanent rift between the two after the fact, because, you know, he felt really ripped off or whatever. So it's too bad. Yeah, it, uh, they're they're not done wrestling, though. Like, of course, we've got they've got a WrestleMania three match. They're in the WWF for another year and a bit. And there is other Saturday Night's Main events action for them to have. And, you know, Dynamite does get back to wrestling. And but this is like I said, this is like the end of this great period of just, you know, my favorite favorite part of wrestling is just came crashing down yep it's a dark day the best of the bulldogs are now yeah once again in the past <laughs> the other thing too is that like the story goes is that when they knew they had to get like they had to get the titles off of the bulldogs mcmahon wanted to just flip them onto Sheik and volkoff as like a transitional tag team champion until they could get them on somebody else and it was the bulldogs who went to mcmahon and, and patterson or whoever and convinced them like actually no let's let's do the heart foundation and so it's interesting because I wonder where they were going because the non-title win on TV happened before the dynamite injury to Morocco and Orton. So was that just sort of part of an angle that was going to play out where the Bulldogs would, you know, be victorious? Like the Hart Foundation get the non-title win and then the, the, the Bulldogs eventually get the real win. But all of a sudden it turned into like, no, we got to we gotta move these belts. 
And so it's sort of interesting. And as famous as the Hart Foundation became, and as successful as they were as a tag team, and I mean, if it wasn't for the Bulldogs lobbying for them there, su- supposedly, they probably don't quite have that same success. Who knows? Right. Well, if you're not a friend of Hogan's, you got to work a little harder. <laughs> so this episode also features the in-ring debut of Outback Jack. So talk about letting the air out of the balloon. Like the the, pre- the the vignettes were what they were. And then we actually saw him in the ring and he took his vest off and stuff and his hat off. And I was just like, man, does this guy look like a joker? Like he just looks so goofy. And they say he's 300 pounds, but he doesn't really look that big. And he doesn't really look that strong. So it's Hillbilly Jim, I'd forgotten, was the guy that introduces him. Hillbilly Jim's in the ring to introduce his friend, Outback Jack. Right. And uh, his finishing move was, I think they called it the boomerang. So it was basically, he'd have the guy stunned, <laughs> and then he'd bounce off the ropes and clothesline him in the back of the neck. <laughs> right, yeah. If he knocked him down the first time, then they'd have to wait for the guy to get back up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Change, as a matter of fact, Billy Jack had a word of caution, I believe, for Hercules Hernandez, comparing Paul Nelson's. Hercules, five years I've been the master of the full Nelson. And I claim I'm no better than anybody else, but in a pro wrestling, the toughest sport in the world, man. You want to challenge me, full Nelson versus full Nelson? Go ahead, Daddy. If I get it on you, I'm gonna break your neck with a snap, crackle, pop. We'll see who the master of the full Nelson is, punk. No, punk. There he is. You know, he's kind of a vile individual, isn't he? No, he normally he's very soft-spoken. Very uncool. Well, we're going to wrap things up with an amazing kind of like fantasy tag team match that we didn't even know ever happened. One of these great international TV tapings where it's a wrestling challenge. It's at a normal wrestling challenge taping, but the match only aired internationally and not in North America. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our main event of the podcast, a honky tonk and macho man tag team as unlikely as it seems against the baby faces. No JYD. Otherwise, the supreme baby faces Hogan (laughs) and Steamboat. That's right. There's some interesting, you know, for wrestling nerds. I mean, um, could there be any out there? What you've got here is the world champion reigning the current Hogan current IC champion the guy is going to beat him for that belt and then the guy is going to beat that guy for that belt <laughs> you've also got the guy well you're only missing Andre as yeah, far as exactly. the world belt goes right? yeah but, yeah yeah so Savage is going to have the world belt soon but Ricky's going to beat Savage and then Honky's going to beat Ricky and they're all in the match together <laughs> yeah, yeah. now it's just crazy yeah and Savage and Honky were just fighting a second ago in our show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's just kind of neat. You, you're, you're looking at the, the, the short-term future of the IC belt anyway. And oh, the last thing is, okay. So, and so everything, it's not Andre that's missing. It's Warrior. Because Warrior obviously will take the belt from Honky. And then he'll take the belt from Hogan down the road. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. kind of the one character that, you know, wraps up the gold in yeah. the, the, the kind of mid, mid-late, WWF's championship scene. Okay, so it's October 20th, and we have got uh, a master class in cowardice. Uh, I think Macho Man has never been such a weasel. It's it's fantastic. His running and hiding is is just, I've never seen him <laughs> such a fucking coward. Yeah, this is, this is hilarious, the way he avoids being a, a participant in the match. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, man, I've, I've never, it's, I can't even think of a better job by anybody who just won't fight. Uh, the only one that I can think of is like the original Sheik, fighting maybe the crusher 
and he w- just wouldn't engage. Yeah, but he yeah. had like he had a fork. Right, it was a tag match, so he w- just wouldn't let the Bruiser or the Crusher get his hands on him, and the crowd was going so they were getting so mad because this guy yeah. just he didn't take one punch. The the Sheik, but he but he, you know with his foreign object, he was carving up the dick. Uh, the uh, the good guys, <laughs> the good guys are getting carved up by the fork, <laughs> and he didn't. You know, well, it, was, it was pretty. It was interesting. It was like black and white footage. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that wasn't even really cowardice. That was like different like yeah. because the guy had this weapon and he's just like <laughs> you know <laughs> no interest until he could stab somebody in the head <laughs> anyway so uh first let me paint the picture for you we have so many colorful colorful characters we have jimmy hart he's wearing a he's not he's not in his wrestling gear he's got a nice black jacket with pink tiger stripe kind of highlights and then he's got the shirt and tie with you know black and pink combination theme there and then he's got the white musical notes on his black trunks and of course he's got his megaphone honky tonk man is in green green and gold this evening and he's one of these well there's not many not too many wrestlers made themselves a fake belt that you know their costume (laughs) actually included you know but uh, as he's got the elvis kind of um well, not kind of. He's got the Elvis impersonator look going on, so he's got his own big rhinestone belt that he takes off just like an intercontinental. intercontinental. Yeah. He was forecasting into the future. But it is the old honky-tonk with the shiny pants and uh, suspenders. Yeah, the straps. <laughs> the straps, that's right. The other part of the heel team, we have... Liz in a beautiful deep blue sequin cocktail dress. Macho Man's not wearing sequins tonight, though. He's got more of a tinfoil, <laughs> not tinfoil, but tinsel. More like, you know, yeah, tinsel, um, glittery stuff on his robe with green arms and a white body. They uh, call Savage's weight at 239, which, you know, King Kong Bundy would like to dispute that <laughs> that number. <laughs> Someone had their foot on the back of the scale, you know, <laughs> yeah, had a few pounds. Right. He's got the white shades before he takes his gear off, and he's actually wearing the sort of mauve, pinkish, purplish, you know, uh, trunks. His headband is purple and gold. Hulk Hogan's music hits the... Oh, wait a minute. What's really fun is the first thing you hear before any uh, Hulk Hogan music is... The Fink saying, introducing first, the managers, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, (laughs) and Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) And and then, of course, they announce uh, Honky Tonk and Savage. The faces make their way to the ring together to Hulk Hogan's theme. Ricky Steamboat, of course, looks like Karate Kid. He's got his white gi on with a black belt, and he's got red tights. Uh, and they're in, he's announced at 2.37, and this is where I'm basically calling bullshit. I think Ricky Steamboat's got a lot more muscle. Uh, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to Savage. Of course, you know, yeah, yeah. he's my man. But, you know, uh, Savage is a... Uh, I just think that something's ain't right with these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that uh, Savage weighs more than Steamboat. I, I yeah, suspect. It'd be, it'd be hard. Yeah. So they get in there, and and Hogan's. Uh, I have no notes here, so he must be in his, you know, red and yellow. That's what I imagine in my head, having just watched it a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they clear the ring, the good guys, and uh, Hogan plays his games right off the bat. You yeah. know, which side of the arena can cheer the loudest? <laughs> so Savage, as I said, he breaks a sweat long before he tags in because he won't be tagging in, you know, <laughs> checking with us in about 20 minutes and we'll we'll have his first. But that, he, it, He's working on his running skills. <laughs> that's right. So he starts by climbing up onto the apron and spitting 
at the faces, and then he drops back down to the floor as they kind of take a swipe at him. And then while he's outside, he grabs a chair and throws it into the ring, and he hits the poor ref. That's right, The yeah. camera angles miss, but you come back, and the ref is rubbing. He's on his ass and, like, yeah, rubbing yeah. his head, and the good guys are consoling him. Yeah. And Savage is, you know, just being such a fucking ill-mannered lout. Hard way bump. Somebody's got flowers for Liz. Uh oh. That's always great. So Savage grabs them and he throws them at the faces. Steamboat leans through the ropes to, you know, sort of try to get at Savage, but it, it doesn't work. Savage runs, but Honky Tonk steps up in his place in a second. So Steamboat and Honky Tonk begin, you know, the action there. But Savage goes around to the next side of the ring and he tries to sneak in at Hogan, but Hogan sees him. So just as soon as he gets through the ropes and into the ring, he bails <laughs> through the ropes and onto the floor <laughs> <That's right>. again. <laughs> Meanwhile, Steamboat's got Honky. Uh, he drags him into the ring. They, they, they struggle, but Steamboat, you know, is fresh. So Honky, you know, falls prey to the right. good guy powers. <laughs> and he whips him into Hogan's boot. Yeah. Uh, but it's a real cl- soft boot. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little clumsy, a little soft, yeah. <laughs> oh, this Hon- ain't no Bobby Heenan or Jimmy Hart taking a boot. This nope. is a Honky Tonk Man turn it up. <laughs> he hits the air brakes before he, you know, and just, uh, you're like pal of Hogan's and Hogan, The, the air know, cushion. Yeah. I noticed that for sure. So Honky, you know, is staggered and he's, he walks backward into a big karate chop from the back of the head from Steamboat. <laughs> then he gets a snapmare, puts him down to the mat on his butt. He gets another chop to the head. And Savage thinks he sees an opportunity to sneak. So he gets into the rope. But no, Steamboat sees him and pulls a hi-ya pose. <laughs> so Savage, you know, doesn't stop. He just like, quick left turn out through, through the ring. <laughs> That's right, ropes. in and out. <laughs> Again, it's fucking... It's like for Savage, it's like the ring apron is like a million degrees and he can only stand on it for a second. So he can't just lava. You can't just see exactly. Like yeah. As soon as he takes a step, oh, a danger. <laughs> That's right. Like, like the floor is lava, but the ring is lava. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two seconds, it burns through his boots. Okay, so... He's in, he's out. Honky Tonk Man, therefore, has to take all, all the beatings. That's right. <laughs> so he walks into a Hogan fist and he gets a bit of the, uh, you know, that shooting gallery where just as the target's about to leave, yeah. you Ding. know, you hit it and it turns around <laughs> yeah. and crosses your field division again to the left. Right. And as it's about to escape, bing, you hit it and then goes back <laughs> the other right. way. Uh, it's a great comedy meme. Before there were memes before we called them memes. So Honky Tonk goes, you know, back and forth from Hogan Steamboat taking fists. And then Steamboat takes like a, you know, five seconds to hit him. He's like, first he poses and then he spits in his hands and then he rubs his hands together. And then the pow, Honky Tonk takes that shot. (laughs) Macho Man climbs up to the third rope thinking he can, you know, get a sneaky shot in, but no Steamboat (laughs) sees him. So he drops just onto the apron and then Steamboat. He's begging for Macho Man to come to the ring. That's he right. grabs Honky Tonk's arm, and he's he's pulling him over to Savage. That's and like, right. come on, tag him, begging Savage. We, to get we in get the ring. Bernie's uh, Honky Tonk Man's out on his feet, just like yeah. helpless to be have his his own arm held out for a tag. <laughs> the crowd is just going nuts for Savage's cowardice, and you know they want it's, it's they're, they're they're screaming and yelling as as a Steamboat is holding out Honky Tonk Man's arm for the the, the tag that Savage will not take. Anyway, so uh, Honky Tonk Man. Hit Steamboat. And oh, maybe the heels are going to, you know, take over for a bit here. Let's see. So we get an Irish whip, a clumsy, sort of a botched, like Steamboat hits the ropes and comes in and Honky Tonk Man's going to punch him. And he kind of, he takes a body press, but still delivers the punch. And it's really clumsy. And uh, oh, well, these things happen. Um, And he gets a two count out of it as well. Steamboat onto Honky. Then Steamboat goes for Savage again, but nope, Savage uh, just drops to the apron or, you know, doesn't want anything to do with any of these good guys. So Steamboat hits the Honky Tonk Man, whips him into Hogan's boot, and tags in the Hulkster. Another not super forceful corner boot 
si- yeah. play situation. <laughs> yep. So now Hogan grabs the honky-tonk man's wrist and marches him over to the villain's corner of the ring and demands... Actually, he just... He, he tags just, him with he a slaps, yeah. yeah. He more or less slaps Savage on the shoulder or chest, and, and so it's, it's a legal tag. That's right. And then, man, it's so great the way Savage is playing to the crowd. He looks, just spins around and looks at the crowd like, oh, shit. I can't <laughs> go in there. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so, but he is tagged in. Crowd goes nuts. Savage is um, up on the top rope and Hogan charges. So he drops down to the floor. Hogan's taunting him. <laughs> and then Savage just dec- decides to go and pick on poor Elizabeth. He goes over there and grabs her by the chin and like starts telling her what a <laughs> terrible job she's doing and makes it look like he's going to slap her. Oh, like, geez. oh my God. He just, you know, this guy is such a, he's so genius at being hated. You he's know. Heat magnet. It's, I, I, it's, 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 you can't do better than, than this. So he's got his focus on Elizabeth, which allows Hogan to come and get Savage. Grabs him. He throws him into the ring. And what's inside the ring? But Steamboat is karate posing <laughs> and getting ready. But Savage doesn't want anything of that to do with that. Nope. So he... <laughs> He's over the top rope and eliminates himself from the Royal Rumble and flees the boat. But he gets caught again by uh, Hogan. And Hogan once again grabs him by the back of the head and by the back of his trunks, throws him into the ring. So Savage scampers on all fours past (laughs) Steamboat and tags the Honky Monk Man, Tonky Tonk Man back in. (laughs) Incredible. Oscar for cowardice. So Steamboat does a back body drop on Honky Tonk Man. Poor Honky. Nobody's really watching him. You know, it's like the Savage show when he hasn't even actually wrestled yet. (laughs) Honky Tonk Man takes an atomic drop and then he gets a fist from Hulk Hogan. There is a, I think Hogan is on the uh, apron right now. I'm not quite sure. Let's see. There's a snapmare. Face lock, and they rest for a bit. It's 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 Steamboat in the ring. Now. Oh yeah, this is, he's the only yeah. one doing the snapmares. Yeah. So they have a bit of a rest hold. We're about four minutes into the match. Savage now runs to the dressing room, and Hogan follows him and taunts him. So no matter what, like Savage is being a little selfish here. He's got to always have the attention on him, you know. <laughs> but Hogan goes back to his position, tag team position. So does Savage. Actually, Vince and Bruno sum it up pretty well here. So uh, here's a little clip of the commentators. Savage not even close to where he should be in his own respective corner. He's <laughs> he's everywhere but where he's supposed to be. He's the just bug. keeping his eye on one eye on Hulk, the other eye, of course, on the dragon Ricky Steamboat. And I don't think Savage wants to have anything at all to do with either one of them. Very obvious. He's jumping over the top rope. He's just running everywhere but uh, but making any effort to go the ring. Wait a minute, down. One, two, and Everywhere but the way he's supposed to be, says Bruno. <laughs> Honky Tonk Man elbows his way out of this face lock. And then he uh, hits the ropes. Looks like Steamboat's going to give him a back body drop, but Honky gets a sunset flip for two and a half count. <laughs> Honky doing a sunset flip? That's hilarious. Yeah. Opportunistic. Not not, not a typical uh, veal, a hill, uh, no. heel tactic. Not you too know. much, no. No. So Steamboat hits Honky and grabs his boot preventing him from tagging, I guess where they forgot that they wanted their hands on Savage because, you know, they, they pull, uh, you know, the old cut the ring in half yeah, yeah. bit, which is, you know, that's off the script. Like, come on, guys. No, you want Savage to get in there so you can beat him. That's right. So Hulk Hogan's got Honky Tonk in the, in the corner and he's begging. Honky Tonk Man is just pleading. Savage is into the ring, but Steamboat's into the ring faster. So Savage, once again, runs to the floor. 
And then finally, like six minutes in now, Savage uh, Honky Tonk gets the attention, and he does the big shake my hand. Oh, I just want to shake hands, Hulk Hogan. Oh, I just want to just shake my hand. I know, I, you know. And he makes a big show about sticking his hand out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Hogan's like, no, 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 no. But otherwise, it's I, it's been hard for Honky to get any attention, despite That's the right. fact that he's taken every bump. That's right. So far, <laughs> so he wants the handshake, and he's not going to get it. The faces are not doing that. The flowers are still in the ring. Oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's two of them, two little white carnations <laughs> haven't yet been, you know, kicked aside. So finally the heels, you know, uh, actually get a little advantage because there's a collar and elbow and Honky Tonk Man rakes Hogan's eyes. So he climbs up to the second turnbuckle and gives Hogan three shots. And then he gives him another five shots before Hogan picks him up and gives him a reverse atomic drop. Then we get a big right hand and then Hogan's typical whip a guy into the corner and follow it up with a clothesline. <laughs> we see it every match. And then he winds up for a big tag. Not a punch. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. he winds up his hand and then reaches for the tag. Okay. So Steamboat's in. He gets a right hand. And then he whips Honky Tonky Man into the ropes and applies a sleeper. It doesn't last long as a sleeper. It morphs yeah. into a side headlock. Yeah. When Honky Tonk pushes him off, so we have uh, Steamboat slinging off the ropes. He crosses over Honky Tonk Man and Savage does the beautiful... Uh-huh. Heart Foundation style, sneak attack, tag team, knees him in the back from the apron. Beautiful. The referee suspects something. (laughs) The referee turns around and points at Savage, and Savage looks like he's been cornered by Ultimate Warrior. You know, like, you know, uh, heel Savage cowering from, you know, and he's on his knees. He's begging, please, please, no, no, mercy, ref, mercy, mercy. (laughs) He's just so selling the innocence, you know, and like he's afraid of the ref. And, uh, of course, uh, you don't usually get that, but uh, Vince makes a little comment. The referee asking, macho man. So that hurts Steamboat, which is finally a good opportunity for Macho Man to tag in and go to work. That's right. That's what happens. Honky Tonk Man tags in Macho Man, who climbs up to the top rope. And then while Honky Tonk is holding Steamboat, we get a double axe handle crashing down and further injuring that back of Steamboat. The match is already like half over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and now Savage, Savage finally. for the first time. Yep. Hogan enters because of this double teaming, but the ref, ref has to chase him away, of course. Savage drives Steamboat into the turnbuckle, and then he uses the top rope to choke Savage by sticking his neck onto the top rope and then kind of grinding his whole weight onto uh, his upper body there so that Steamboat's getting choked by the top rope. And then, of course, after that move, you sling the good guy off, and he winds up in the middle of the ring. It's a good place <laughs> for Savage's finishing maneuver, if we should be so lucky. Instead, he gets a knee, and then he tags in the Honky Tonk Man, who drops a fist. And then he picks up Steamboat and body slams him. Then he goes up to the second rope for uh, his uh, fist drop on Steamboat. Right. So... Honky Tonk Man whips Ricky Steamboat into the ropes and it looks like a back body drop, but no, Steamboat kicks him. And then Stavage, seeing that there's an upper, a potential rally here, grabs right. Steamboat by the back of his head, grabs yeah, him by really the hair. He, he has to really reach over the ropes to get his hands on him. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. And uh, Steamboat ends up outside of the ring and Honky Tonk follows him, hits him and body slams him outside of the ring. Savage taunts Hogan, who comes in over and uh, <laughs> tries to help his buddy. He ends up getting admonished by the ref again, which allows Savage to actually drop an elbow outside of the ring onto Steamboat. Not from the top, I wish, but just like a standing elbow drop. And then Savage just goes to work on Steamboat outside. After all this running, now is a vicious. He's booting him. (laughs) He's choking him. Hogan comes over to rescue him, and uh, Steamboat finally hits Savage and hits. Steamboat does manage to get one kind of, I'm not dead yet, hit on Savage, chases him. Steamboat gets back into the ring. They're working the hot tag. So Steamboat hasn't been able to like take over yet. 
and the heels actually they have a uh, I wouldn't call it a botch, but there's an awkward awkward moment like. At one point, this hot tag is so doable because Steamboat winds up in the ring on his own and both heels are on the floor. Neither one of them are there to prevent him. <laughs> so he does the most like wobbly, drunken sailor. Where's my buddy? I yeah, don't even yeah, know yeah, where yeah. I am. And like the, the heels are like, oh shit, I thought you were going to. So, so, somebody's <laughs> got to scramble in there and hit him. And they hit him from behind, which again might thrust him into That's the bad right. guy. Yeah, so yeah. Steamboat's got to like alter the laws of physics and That's fall right. the other way so that uh, to, to keep building that hot tag so it is honky tonk man who manages to uh keep the faces from changing places <laughs> dusty roads steamboat winds up on his back in the middle of the ring he's trying to rally but honky tonk puts like a a neck twist face grab but from the wrong direction where he's basically like you know usually you stand behind a guy you might put one hand on his chin one hand on his head and make it look like you're yanking his head and yeah. he'll just be like oh i got this weird pressure on my neck, neck when he does that yeah neck vice honky tonk does it from the front which really looks weird i've never seen a wrestler try that okay, before yeah but yeah it's usually from the side or the back yeah yeah so it it looks a bit odd steamboat gets to his knees and manages to get out of it. He hits a honky-tonk man, hits the ropes, and then there's a double bump, kind of a noggin knocker, which leads to standing 10 count around the referee thinks both of them are out of it. The heels do, you know, honky-tonk man, honky-tonk man manages to get to his feet first. And Steamboat, you know, who's trying to, you know, stay up, can only stay up by help with the ropes. And he ends up falling backwards into Hogan's tag. Yeah. With So there's a big, huge pop. And... Savage comes in, attacks Hogan while he's on the apron, but Hogan blocks the punch <laughs> and Savage takes a bump while Hogan's still on the apron. Hogan comes into the ring and whips Savage into the Honky Tonk Man. And then Hogan punches Savage. And then Hogan punches Honky. And then Hogan punches Savage. And oh, looks like we're going for the finish because we have an Irish whip and what looks like the big boot. And he points to Steamboat. Yeah, yeah. He wants the revenge. He wants the First crowd. First time going to get his hands on Savage. That's right. So incredible. Hulk Hogan's being selfless. He's letting somebody else <laughs> um, get the glory. So... Hogan goes over and tags Steamboat, and the crowd goes mental. They pop. Steamboat tags in, and he punches Savage. He hits him four times in a row. Savage is down. Steamboat climbs to the top rope, but it's a chop to the head, not to, because um, Steamboat, both of his attacks, the opponent needs to be standing. Yeah. Unlike Savage, uh, who wants his opponent on his back in the middle of the ring. So Savage takes a big third rope chop to his noggin. Steamboat climbs a neutral corner, and the honky-tonk man... Pushes him off the top That's rope. right. Oh, Hogan grabs Honky, you son of a, and starts beating him up out on the apron. The flowers are still in the ring. <laughs> They're still there. There's still two white carnation heads on the mat. Nobody's gotten rid of them. Savage now goes for the bell as Honky Tonk and Hogan are engaged. The referee tries to stop Savage, um, who drops the bell at first, but then he pushes the ref and picks up the bell again. <laughs> a fan jumps out of the audience part, a black teenager, who uh, surprises the hell out of this one security guard who yeah. ends up, you know, just dragging him back into the crowd. This poor kid, you know, was just like, didn't want to see Savage smash Steamo <laughs> larynx again. So he's like, I'll save him. <laughs> and he gets clobbered. Poor kid. So Savage does manage to climb up to the top rope with the belt. But Hogan catches him and he takes a body slam from the top rope. Crowd's going crazy. Steamboat chops him once, chops him twice, and then he notices the bell. Yeah. And he picks it up, and he's like, okay, now you're going to get it. And uh, Savage attacks him from behind, but Steamboat no sells. He just turns oh, around. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. He no sells a uh, forearm from behind and just uh, Savage looks petrified and bails <laughs> and runs away with Liz, leaving Honky Tonk Man to get beat up <laughs> by Steamboat and Hogan. So he's on his own. And now, but it's not enough. They got to beat up Jimmy Hart too. That's right. <laughs> so Jimmy Hart's out on the floor, and somebody grabs him and drags him into the ring over the flowers. One more shot, you can see the flowers. <laughs> Jimmy Hart gets dragged over, and uh, they take a long time to set up the uh, I'm opposite corners, whip the heels yes. into each other. Yeah, they, I can see there was a pretty clumsy moment where like one of them looked across, realizing that like the people he was looking for weren't even in the corner of the ring he was looking for. They were yeah. like in, you know across from him instead of like diagonally across from him. And he was like, then they had to wait and wait. Yeah. They finally set it up and then the heels get whipped into each other. Jimmy Hart and Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk bails and then Jimmy Hart does a better job <laughs> taking oh, the bumps. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then they give him. Jimmy Hart takes awesome bumps. <laughs> yeah. So he gets whipped into the big boot. Honky, that's how you do it. There you go. Then Howard Finkel makes his announcement that the winners of the match are Steamboat and Hulk Hogan. The crowd goes crazy. Hogan's got the belt and Steamboat's got the bell. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I don't see the quite pronounced double pose down like we got in their previous ta- tag up with the mixed when they were wrestling Morocco and uh, Johnny V and Fuji. I remember Hogan and Steamboat did the, you know, they were like, oh my God, look at Ricky Steamboat's muscles when he was doing the Hogan poses. But this one, the file kind of ends before you really truly see him getting into any kind of posing with Hogan. Yeah. Great match. Uh, uh, just, you know, Savage's ability to build heat. You know, like he had such a great match with, with Roberts with all those spots. And I, I was saying how I thought it was like a rehearsal, a warm-up for WrestleMania 3. Well, this was an entirely different uh, strategy. The running and hiding. I've never seen anybody do it better. It's just incredible. You can't get your hands on them. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think you accidentally quoted the wrong date, though. You said like October 20th, and it definitely wasn't October 20th because Honky didn't even have his... Uh, his vote of confidence until November, late November. Uh, I believe that was December uh, 20th or something like that. Right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know where uh, that came from. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, just just for point of fact, this wasn't, wherever it was, I know I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do know that it wasn't like the last thing on the list of what we saw today, but it was sort of like we wanted to cheat it and put it there. This is one of those, I believe, international tapings again, where it didn't appear in North America. So North American audience wouldn't have seen this match at the time. And now here we are in the YouTube era, in the you know modern age, and we can go back and look at these really neat and fascinating moments that happened in these house shows. And like Jeff kind of said before, you know, there's these stories that are almost exclusive to certain cities. And I mean, in this case, Savage is telling the story of like, ooh, I, I still oh, you know, even even though he's fought house show matches against Ricky Steamboat in in these around these dates, he's. They're playing it up as if they haven't seen each other since he sent him to the hospital or whatever. And that's that's what can get the crowd so hyper and so into it and so excited is that, you know, it'd be the first time that Ricky Steamboat can finally get revenge for, you know, this man that almost ended his career. It's a good one. Okay, we'll be back to wrap up the show. episode over on patreon so to get there you're gonna do patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession so that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon you can also help us out with our twitter stuff or i guess it's called x these days i'm not really up on this but my my little birds turn into an x and you know elon musk is changing things i don't know doesn't matter so if you're a twitter person or would like to help us out and start a profile just for that reason wow that would be incredible it's at Ledge R Obsession. So let me spell that out for you because they limit the characters. Capital 
L-E-G, capital W-R-E, capital O-B-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. So if you could go on there, that'd be awesome, because the more people that are following our little bits on Twitter, the more other people will see it, the more we can spread the show. We need your help getting the word out. We welcome you to join us next week when we continue on the path to WrestleMania 3. It's the rest of February and part of March as we get ready for Saturday night's main event. And one of our main focuses is going to be on something that Jeff got to see as a kid and we love. Yes, incredibly, Hulk Hogan and Jake the Snake Roberts only wrestled as single competitions for the belt in two places. They would meet later in uh, you know, other types of matches, tag matches, and that. But I'm not counting those. I'm just saying at uh, Hogan's first run, which is where we are right now, Roberts had three matches in two different cities. And Winnipeg was one of them, and I was there. <laughs> and I was the biggest Jake the Snake fan. Oh, man, I was so... Like I said, I was cheering for Jake to beat Savage on that Saturday Night Main event. I, I imagine everybody was. When, yeah, exactly. when Savage is cheering, you know, yeah. hiding behind Elizabeth, of course yeah. you're going to cheer Jake. So it's not like I was breaking new ground or anything like that. But, yeah, I was, I was in. I was yeah. in. I did want Ho- Jake to beat Hogan. I'll say it right now. That's right. Right before, the moment before, you know, really, if you look at days, right, you know, just before the Honky Tonk Man guitar blast and Jake becoming one of the most popular good guys there could be for, you know, several years, he was still a nasty heel and there was hopes of this big program that kind of got squashed. So I kind of mentioned it previously, but this is sort of like, we're going to go down the road of like the Tom McGee, like the missing, the missing snake pit. And all the action that took place on that. So we'll cover it as much as we can. We'll try and hit, put out some real words of Hogan and Jake in their own words of like what happened to that feud and why it didn't work out. You saw as the much missing snake pit? I saw it when it happened, yeah. And I saw the match. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the missing snake pit aired in Winnipeg. And there was another snake pit with Hogan and Jake. And I, when I just watched that one, you know, last month or whenever that was, I was like, what happened? That's not the snake pit I saw. But well, now it all makes sense. I've always remembered this. Jake looking at the camera and saying, I'm going to embarrass you in front of your own people. <laughs> and I was like so into it because I was like, that's right, Winnipeg is Hogan's people. That's, that's right. That's right, yes. This is the AWA. That's right, yeah, exactly. And at the same time, you know, where I was like, I was like, yes, Winnipeg is Hogan's people. I was like, yeah, and Jake's going to beat you. That's right. That's the Billy Red Lions interview from the 1986 year in review show that I had taped and watched over and over again. It's crazy the things you remember. Yeah. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I wonder if I've got a word for word. I doubt I, it. I'm pretty sure it's that, like that little part was. I'm pretty right. sure it is, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay. Thanks for sticking with us. Sorry that we've uh, been a little bit late getting our shows out. We're, we're close, I promise. <laughs> we're catching back up. The back's starting to heal up. The uh, <laughs> the kids are getting older. That's right. <laughs> I'm chipping them off to college. <laughs> That's right. Corey's also moving house. Yeah, trying to do that. Trying trying lots of things here. So that's why. Breaking leaves. Well, yeah, not doing that yet, but yeah, that's coming. Okay. Hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next week on the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. Farewell. Yeah.